0: If there's more Tom Wilsons coming at 17, 18 years old, show yourself, get out there, do it, because guess what? There's there, there's 31 teams and 32 teams soon that are like waiting for you to arrive. Yeah.
1: That was Brad May, former Stanley Cup champion with the Anaheim Ducks and NHL veteran of over 1,000 games. And you're listening to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Podolins. This is a hockey podcast about reaching your potential. Hello there and welcome back to the Up My Hockey Podcast or welcome to the Up My Hockey Podcast with Jason Podolan I am your host, Jason Podolan and today we have episode 54 coming at you and we have a veteran, a veteran, veteran, veteran of the NHL. 1,041 games, not including playoffs, a former first round pick, 14th overall to the Buffalo Sabres, um, a former Sabre, uh, a former Canuck, a former Coyote, a former Avalanche, and a former Duck, Leaf, and Red Wing, and also a Stanley Cup champion to that team in Anaheim in, I believe it was 2006, um, actually 2007, the Anaheim Duck team from 2007, uh, got traded there at the deadline from Colorado. Joined that team um, to celebrate a Stanley Cup championship uh, in 2007. And he was a man that uh, a lot of people would say played the old school style of game. He he loved his role. He loved to play with energy. He loved to be there for his teammates and to provide that spark when they needed it. And uh, sometimes that spark was a, was a fight. Sometimes that f- spark was a hit. Uh, and sometimes that spark was a goal like the overtime winner that he had in the second season in Buffalo that is forever be entrenched in the hockey archives as one of the greatest calls uh, with one of the greatest plays ever made. It was uh, uh, just a pretty fantastic goal. And uh, Rick Jenneret had had an amazing call on that. And a lot of you will remember that um, if you're around my age. Uh, so May, uh, Mr. Brad May is somebody that I came across at the Toronto Maple Leafs alumni. We cover that a little bit, um, tour in, uh, during the West coast trip around Vancouver Island in Vancouver. That was in, uh, 2020, almost a year ago. Uh, today, uh, we were there with, with the Leafs and I met Brad and sat next to him on the bus and, uh, shared a bunch of stories and he is definitely an entertaining guy. So, uh, lots to learn from Mr. May, lots of laughs, lots of smiles, uh, a very good speaker, and I was really happy to have him on. So without further ado, I will bring you Stanley Cup champion and the uh, a veteran of 1,041 games, which we cover uh, is exactly 1,000 more games than I played. Uh, so uh, enjoy what this man has to say. I give you Mr. Brad May. All right, here we are. We're live for episode 54 of the Up My Hockey podcast with Brad May. Brad, thanks so much for joining us today here in the program.
0: Yeah, Jason so happy to be here. I thanks haven't man. Seen you almost well, just over a year, eh, when we when we were last You know year. what?
1: Yeah, good good memory on that because uh I posted a couple of things on Facebook during during that whole alumni thing. So yeah, so for those listening, Brad Brad and I were part of a, a Toronto Maple Leaf alumni tour here on the West Coast. And usually the Maple Leafs do most of their stuff in Ontario and around there, obviously, because they're you know they're, they're so well-respected and revered there. But they did come out West. So me being out West, they were able to pick up a straggler like me and join join the tour. So uh, Brad and I got to know each other a little bit there. But that was legitimately almost one year ago today, to, to the day. And uh, God, what a difference a year makes, man, Hey, eh? It's,
0: you know, I, it, this whole everything that we're trying to do, obviously we're trying to stay safe and healthy and we don't want to see anybody lose loved ones and stuff, but boy, has it been a strange year. I mean, for my family, it's been outside of my, my kids looking for employment and all that stuff. Um, you know, they're older now, 25 and 21. Um, you know, we've had a great time. We've spent so much family time together and we've had epic fights. We've, you know, made up and we've, you know, we've come, we've come closer as a family, but, um, You know it's a gift when you get to spend time with your loved ones which not everybody's been able to do but for um, my wife and i we've had our kids with us quite a bit through this last year and the sad part is we haven't been with our parents right um just because they're probably more vulnerable so um i miss mom and dad as does my my in-laws my wife misses her parents as well
1: yeah i mean i think you hit the nail on the head there like our personal situation here in Vernon with my wife and my my boys, we have three boys, uh, 11, 10, and 8, and we've homeschooled them this year. And, you know, I work from home. My wife's a dance teacher, so she's home a lot. Uh, neither one of our businesses has necessarily been affected, right? So for us, there's not a financial strain and there's not, I mean, all the other things that are so many people that are being really affected by right other than the the uh the worry of the health as well so i mean we're we're grateful on a personal level that you know that we're in a spot where we can enjoy the family time it's actually been you know a positive kind of pause if you'd say but i think covid fatigue is is setting in just with you know even even just with those youth sports right our boys love hockey and you know like how that's changed how how everything has really changed is um uh, it's amazing what 12 months can do though. Looking at those pictures and we had people in the arenas obviously, and we were out and, you know, having dinners in restaurants and, you know, we didn't even know what COVID was 12 months ago. And now it's like everything's changed. But anyways, fingers crossed, we get back to some type of normalcy here soon. I'm sure you're, you're hoping for that as well.
0: Yeah. Big time. You know, it just, at the end of the day, every conversation you have with, you know, a stranger, whatever, it's, it's all about COVID, you know, wearing a mask, whatever. So I can't wait till that's all over. Um, I, I do believe that government's got to get out of our way a little bit and allow us to get back to somewhat normal. Um, yeah. With that being said, you got to do it responsibly and and obviously listen to the experts, but then again, the experts are wrong early on and they've been wrong many times throughout this pandemic. So, I mean, really at the end of the day, I'm certainly not one. I, I Wear a mask, social distance are, are the two things that we should do. You know, keep your bubble tight. Imagine that all these different little catchphrases and we all know I what we're we talking about. You know, it's know. Uh, it's I been know. a strange, you know what? Let's let's go down the memory down memory lane here talking about hockey and um and how Yeah, soccer. let's do
1: it. What are you up what are you up to now? Are you, you you have been involved in the game since you've been out of the game as a player, right, in different capacities. And I know you've you've hopped around with working with different teams too. Like where where are you at now with that and this what this new NHL season looks like?
0: You know, I, 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 in some ways I miss. Um, so my last job, my last um, employer was um, AT&T Sportsnet, which um, broadcasts all the games for the Vegas Golden Knights. So I worked, I didn't work for the Golden Knights, but I did all their games. I was a pregame in between periods and postgame um, analyst. And so that was my last job. I was with the Sabres for three or four years prior to that. And then same time when I was in Buffalo, I was working – at Sportsnet for a couple years when I first retired. So this, th- that whole story spans over 10 years. And um, this past year I haven't done anything. Um, I've actually gotten myself back into, um, I say coaching, but um, I'm, I'm on the ice, you know, training some kids, you know, from eight years old, 10 years old, which by the way, it's they, they the joy for the game is amazing at that age. But, and then as we get to 14 and 16, um, you know, some some players have a real opportunity to to go, go on another path. You know, the, their their trajectory to maybe chase uh, to be drafted at the you know USHL. I'm down in, I'm down in California right now for the winter, um, for six months or, or just shy of six months. So um, I, I just didn't want to stay in Ontario where I have a cottage north of the city, um, right. north of Toronto. Um, my wife and I were like, let's go back to Anaheim we know some people out here. I've been helping kids out. It's been a lot of fun. It's kind of, it's filled my days. Um, certainly not doing it for any other reason. And a lot of parents that I'm there, they're like, do you have a kid here? And I'm like, no, my, my children are, you know, raised and they're off and doing their things. And they're like, what are you doing here? You know, like, what's the, what's the purpose of you showing up and helping these young kids? And the truth is, if I didn't have people like that, when I was a young kid, I would never have made it. And I wouldn't, I have no idea where I'd be today. Um, but at the end of the day, I met some great people, great mentors. And, um, you know, what? in the second half of my life, I, I think I'm turning into that. If I, you know, maybe I've always been that, but um, I'm a mentor to these guys. I'm trying to teach them, young girls too, and um, help them chase their dreams.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. It's a great way to, I mean, I, I love you here and give them back. And I think that's. That's one of the things that years and perspective and maturity can give you. Um, I I know I I can't speak for you, but personally, I didn't have that while I was in it. Um, And now that I'm out of it, like my respect for the whole system, the whole game has really elevated. Right. Like all the moving parts of what it takes to be a part of it at the youth level, like the volunteers, to be a part of it at the pro level, to be signing autographs and making paychecks and all the great things, this house that I live in, everything else, right, is from this awesome game uh, called hockey. And, And to be involved in it now in a different capacity and like how you said, like helping others, um achieve things I mean I find it just a, a sweet spot for me like I absolutely love it and I think it's a great way to give respect to uh to where we've come from and, and help others on their journey so I love that you're doing that how about talking about that a little bit I just had a well name you'd know for sure Dean McCammond uh was on the ice so I, I I'm doing the same thing you're doing I, I got a program called Out My Hockey where I'm helping kids locally here um on the ice you know i'm helping guys off the ice too from all over north america but the on the ice stuff is is pretty fun to to get out there with them and and working with them and and dean said to me after the this one practice he was helping me with uh he said god these kids are good like eight nine ten eleven years old right and we kind of just reminisced and i was like i don't think i was that good as an adam like you know it, I, I think that there is such a there's so much more going on now at that level. Like, you know, and guys like yourself, guys like myself, Dean McCam, and there's so much emphasis on skill and the approach to the game is like these kids just, I feel like they're light years ahead of where we were from a developmental level at, at that age. Do you see that with where you're at down there, down south too?
0: It's, it's unreal. Um, these kids, these kids at 10, 12 years old do things that I've never been able to do as a hockey player, you know, like, <laughs> or, or the willingness to try like certain moves and how they pick the puck up and, you know, obviously, at, when I when I say that, I mean, we, you and I can shoot the puck harder than them and we can skate faster than them at this point, even as we're getting yeah. older. But um, as they're going to develop, I think the big thing, like the skill worldwide, I, I'd have to imagine, is gone through the roof. I mean, the game is certainly a lot better. The one thing that doesn't change, strategy and, and, and obviously um, awareness on the ice, that doesn't change. Um how do you, how do you beat your opponent? Of course, skills one way, but the one thing that I think is missing possibly, and I've been hanging out at, at this arena for the last few months is how to be a player. Like, what do you actually need to do to be successful in certain moments? And, and I think these kids and I, and no fault of their own. It, I think it's just the, the movement because it's so skill driven, and you know, um, that, they actually aren't aware of actually how to play the game in many cases, although they can skate, shoot, pass, but then all of a sudden a guy put a defender in front of them, you know, with a good stick, you know, in the lane that they want to go to, and they have no idea what to do. And yeah. how, do they, how do they persevere? How do they get through? So I think, I think the mental side is the one thing that, you know what, it, it, although the game is getting better, the mental side I think is maybe taking a back seat because of the distractions, right? Everybody's got so there's so many voices in your head. I mean, I'm just we're on we're on a Zoom call right now or whatever it is. We're we're doing a podcast. I probably have a TV on over here that I'm paying attention to. My cell phones, but you know, buzzing. That's that's for me. But what about a kid that you know has has all of that the the same things in front of him um, or her? And I I just I think that. It's a 365-day game today, which I'm not a fan of. I think kids should be athletes, and they should learn how to, you know, play, play play soccer, downhill ski, you know, baseball. What All the skills that you can do at school and everything else, and a lot of these teams aren't allowing, right? I mean, of course, this year is different with COVID, but um, yeah. I, I just think the mental side, and that's what you do, Jason, I think it really is. That's the sweet spot. If you've got a good player and you get the mental teaching and training, um, he probably doesn't have a chance. And the, the mental side's everything.
1: Wow, that's yeah. I didn't know idea you were gonna go down that road. But I mean, I yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's that power of perspective, I call it, right? And the power of focus. I mean, you you hit it on the head as a as a man, right, and, and we have enough time dealing with it, right? The phone in the pocket and, you know, the the notification on Twitter and, and you know, the kids want it, Whatever is happening, there's so much happening. You're bombarded all the time, right? And now you're dealing with teenagers, in some cases, who want to be hockey players, and they're trying to deal with everything else that's going on. Yeah, they have this goal and this dream ahead of them, right, that they want, but it's like how do we keep that in mind throughout the day, right, other than even just when we're on the ice? And then not only that, but then again, the aspect of hockey, right? How how does this this skill driven going around pylons and pushing it underneath here? How does that correlate into being able to play the game um, and matching those two up is a uh, is a bit of a challenge sometimes, right, for these guys? And I and I hear it from the guys that even at the highest level, right? I mean, the guys that are in director of player development and you know the scouts, it, it is it is a bit of a process, right? The, the players can do more things. Uh, from a skill side aspect, but there is a lot of elements that they're not showing up that maybe like guys like us did back in the day, right. Where maybe a little bit more well-rounded, maybe understanding a little bit what it means to be a teammate a little bit more. Right. I think, I think those aspects of the game have have potentially taken a backseat. And I have like, I, I have massive sympathy. I, I mean, sympathy is maybe the wrong word. Empathy for those guys right now playing like in that environment in the NHL, to not be able to go see your teammate in a locker room, to not be able to go out on the road and and have a bite to eat at a restaurant—like, can you imagine that, Maser? Like, that would just be really weird. And in empty arenas, that's weird too. But like, even like the social aspect of being a team is so strange right now.
0: It, it really is. I actually, um, I, I think the NHL's done an amazing job. Obviously, they're trying to keep they're they're moving from city to city. Obviously, they're in their bubbles, but um, obviously, they've had some you know positive cases here and they've had to reschedule games, but I think they've done a great job, but yeah, I mean, you, you want to get there and you want to play in front of, you want to play in front of fans. You want to play in front of those fans in your city to, to, you know, you know, stake your, your, your claim or your ground in that city. Cause all these players they don't grow up in these cities, right? They, they've been drafted, they've been traded, they've been signed as free agents, but you know, in many cases, you're in a foreign city or foreign place. And, and all of a sudden, that's the one way that's why hockey was so amazing for us jason was that you can literally ingratiate yourself with the fans and your teammates immediately by doing something special on the ice and special doesn't mean scoring a game-winning goal it's blocking a shot for your teammate it's telling a good story in the locker room banding that group of guys together like it's all about the environment but yeah for all these kids like you have young ones in some ways, I, I, I was a I was a young father. I was 24, I think, when my son was born, and um, I'm 49 now, so he's 25. But he, uh, I was playing hockey, focused on Brad and and building whatever we were trying to do. But behind me, this picture, all those different teams I was playing for, um, amazing. But I wasn't as present as a father. In the in the development of baseball, soccer, golf, hockey, because I was training myself and I was so focused in, in on that. But my my our, the kids today, like when I, when I started, sorry, let me go back. When I started, I didn't. I watched Saturday night hockey, maybe, maybe Wednesday night. I don't remember. I'm making it up now. I really hockey. You played hockey. You you played on, on your driveway. You played in the. On, we lived on a pond, so that was nice. As a kid, we got to skate a lot, but. All of that, well, the kids today, you know what they see? They see Patrick Kane on a shootout winner with all the adulation that he gets. And that child or that young athlete thinks they that, oh, my God, I want to be that. But they don't realize the bus trips and the sweat and the blood and all the times that Patrick Kane was put down by a coach or the other team. And, and when I see Patrick Kane, he was the first overall draft pick. And by the way, he was probably the most silver spoon kid because he made it and he was that good. I mean, the rest of us, I mean, it's a grind to get there. And all those stories, I think it kind of, because of the hyper focus on what we do on our, on our devices, I think that's the gap. When I say mental training and stuff, it's the gap of trying to slow the world down around you and just live in the present.
1: Yeah. Great. Uh, Do you, did you feel in your day, that was something that you were good at, or is that something you had to learn and, and develop?
0: Great question. I I literally when I was I want to say 17, um might have been 18, but I think it was 17. Um it would have been my draft year and um I remember buying I think there was like 36 tapes or whatever but the Tony Robbins the <laughs> un, Unleash the Power Within or whatever whatever that that he had a couple different systems that he came out with. Yeah. And I literally I listened to that pods and then not only that I got into Zig Ziglar and Dennis Waitley and, and all these other motivational speakers. I bought their books, or I'm pretty cheap, so I'm sure somebody bought it for me. But I got these books. Um, yeah, I used to read. Funny, I used to read. Now all I do is I I, I scroll through Twitter and I watch Netflix. You know, it's kind of like, oh, my God, it's like a... I'm in, I'm in this place where I I probably should go back to reading books again because you know what? Yeah. that's It takes that time to, you know get the information, but you know what would yeah. percolate in it. And then you know what kind of I think there's more of an understanding when it happens slower than faster.
1: You know what? I, I, I was just gonna go grab it because I have that same book on my shelf right now. And I and I still do try and read. And I read when I was younger too, like 1920, into my early 20s bus trips. I would I would read. Um but it wasn't something that it was interesting. Like did you ever talk with anybody about that? I'm just wondering from like the I don't know if it was a stigma or what. It wasn't like I was being shy about what I was interested in but it wasn't like it was like super open either right like hey I got this great book from Tony Robbins about how to better yourself you know what I mean like I, it wasn't that wasn't a discussion on the bus or in the locker room did, did you feel that same way too or were you, I mean how did how did you come across that did you feel like you were the only one reading that stuff
0: you never wanted to be called the nerd which by the way the nerd's the smartest guy right and and, and probably as we get older we like nerds, right? We like that guy that's actually a little more polished and 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 well learned. But yeah, yeah I, I probably kept it to myself. I think in some ways, as as I got, became, I say successful. But you know, where I where I was successful, becoming getting drafted, making the Sabers, you know, my first training camp, all those things, that was my edge over the guy that was thirty one years old and doesn't read, or I didn't know if he read or not, but. He maybe didn't know of Tony Robbins because maybe it was already he was past that, you know, right. that life and and I'm not sure. So maybe in many ways I kept it close to the vest and didn't share, you know, what what yeah. you did because that was your you know your edge and your angle and you know at the end of the day your best friend on your hockey team is still competing with you for ice time. Okay. So you can sit there and bitch all you want to your teammates, and that guy that you're bitching to. He probably is not so unhappy because guess what? When you're playing four minutes or five minutes, he's playing fifteen or twenty, and and that's a great lesson too as a player is, you know, you all the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah, you might get a couple of pats on the back, but you know what? Nobody really cares. Nobody. Right. Cares. I mean, mom and dad in your own immediate circle, it's it's competitive and you got to grind and it's not it's not always that easy. It's an insecure business. There's no doubt yeah. for for many, if not all.
1: You talked about that competitive edge uh, being maybe the authors on your shelves and, and that support cast or that inner circle, sometimes I call it, right? Because you do want to have a you wanna have a team around you, right? Sometimes that can be, you know, mom or dad or your agent or a good buddy, but it can also be authors, it can also be now podcasts, it can also be these other things, right? That that can really build you up and give you that support that you need. But it sounded like you you, and you were going a little bit halfway around the word confidence there like that gave you a little bit extra confidence when you're out on the ice and one of the things that I'm talking with players about and with teams about now is that whole idea of confidence because a lot of times and maybe you can speak to this too like confidence conventionally is like you get confidence after you experience some type of a result right like I'm I'm confident in the NHL now because I've scored the 20 goals or or I've had a, a, some fights and I've done well in them. So now I'm confident. Right. But like what happens before you experience that result? Right. You need to walk in there with some type of confidence. And and everyone, when I have these interviews, it's interesting because somebody there's usually something behind the scenes, not on the ice that allows this player, this person to show up on the scene with some confidence. Right. That's either earned or Maybe it's not even correct, but at least they believe it. You know what I mean? Like, do you think that 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 did allow you to have that that little bit extra confidence when you when you showed up? You know, what?
0: I um, the the first thing is what is confidence, right? Like, I mean, the success is the is the realization of a predetermined goal. So you set out to do something, you achieve it—that's success. So you can be successful in every ten minutes of your life if you set your goals small enough and short enough. By the way if you did that you're always moving ahead and you can get to your destination a hell of a lot quicker than saying hey i want to be an nhl hockey player i'm 10 years old well let's work backwards how do you get there and let's let's go all the way back And by the way it's good it'll be this long you know it's not a straight line there's a lot of you know um moving around but for the confidence part yeah i think you gotta if you want to hit a home run you gotta swing for the fence right like in a baseball terminology if you're, you're always just trying to bunt the ball or just get the ball in play, which I think most athletes probably play the sport of their choice, like that, where they, they play safe and they don't want they play not to make mistakes. So I think in many cases, this is on the leadership of, of not only the, 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 I say, the team, but the players, coaches and parents. Too, it, kids are too stymied, too stifled. Listen, who cares if you make a mistake? Like I had a, I had a boy a couple of weeks ago on the ice down here in California. Um, and we were talking and he, he was like, coach, you can yell at me, you know? And I'm like, wait a minute. What, first of all, I go, why, why would I yell at you? I mean, he goes, well, you know what, um, my coaches and, 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 and people in my life, they yell at me all the time. And I'm like, okay, well do you, are you motivated by being yelled at? Because here's the thing, the last shot you just took was terrible but I don't have to yell at you because you already know it was bad, but we're working and it doesn't matter. You can actually have your next 25 shots or 50 shots that are going to be awful. But guess what? Once you get the technique that we're working on and you feel it, because it has nothing to do with the coach. It's about you. Once you feel it, now you're cooking. And all of a sudden, but he was looking for some external motivation to to be yelled at, or maybe that's just the world that, you know, this, this boy had been in. But my point there, is the environment is everything, right, to, to, to develop that confidence. But allow these kids to, to chase their dreams and do stuff. The cool part about the YouTube generation and your, your boys, I'm sure, uh, that when they're playing, they're trying stuff. They're trying to score with the Michigan from behind the net and lifting the puck up. I don't know. I just did that with my head because I think that's the way you have to do it, raise the puck. But um, they're doing things on the ice – that you and I would have got yelled at by coaches, which stymied and stifled our development. But guess what? When Pat Lafontaine and Matt sundin tried the same move, albeit they were a hell of a lot better players than we were, they were allowed to be creative because they actually, whoever determined that, they could do whatever they want for the most part, outside of the, you know the team structure stuff. Right. Were you and I try it? Even in a practice, an optional practice on a Tuesday morning when you don't play until the weekend. If we tried to do some goofy move at the blue line, the coach would blow his whistle and say, that, you know, shove it up your rear end and get that puck deep. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're not, you're not going to develop as, as to the player. Now, when you get to that level, listen, we all have jobs and roles to do. So not everybody can be the best player or the scorer. Everybody's got to, you know, chip in and do something different. I think that's what, going back to the whole development of all our, our athletes that are becoming so talented is they need to you know invest a little bit in their mind to to figure out you know different strategies to get through you know certain turmoil
1: yeah that's uh you covered you covered a lot there i mean i i I think the safety of the environment is a big thing i mean me being well a coach to a team for sure you mean that's something that i'm consciously trying to be aware of right like what is what is our culture when it comes to that am i screaming at kids in a game to You know, when they make a mistake or or to not not make the when they don't make the safe play, am I mad? Like I think like I got I have arrived at the rink with an intention that that's not the priority. The priority is that you're trying to make plays out there, and you're encouraging them to make plays, and you're encouraging them to you know celebrate when they have made a mistake in an area because they tried something right. And I think that that does flip the whole equation on its head, right? When that's the environment that you're in, and you're expected to try things way different than when you're scared about what coach is going to yell. I think that. That was the environment I think that we kind of grew up in, and I think it took a special personality to really move along through the ranks because there had to be an element of thick skin, and I think people called it mental toughness back in the day that you had to have a little bit I don't give a shit attitude, you know, because if you had a too much give a shit, like, you'd be, you'd be crushed because you'd be sitting there not wanting to move, right, because someone might yell at you.
0: And the, and the other one, the other, the other ingredient that you must have that you need to find is and I say this respectfully little F you in you to when you're going out there and I say I hope that's not inappropriate where you're actually going out and you know what it's feast or famine you know now not at 10 not at 12 I certainly don't you know prescribe to that but as you're getting into these tournaments and and, and, and playing at higher levels and you're you know looking to maybe get drafted and as, as as the kids ascend in their in in their path you know what you have to go out and you have to be able to Beat the guy across from you. You don't even know him. He's not done anything to you. He might have smiled and said good morning to you. You know, if it was whatever game, and you know, you have to look at him and say, you know what, not today. I'm going to beat you. And now the question is, how do you do that humbly, and how do you do that with, you know, with grace and and and, and sportsmanship? And I think that's a challenge for a lot of kids and challenge for for me at times. I was always sportsmanlike, and I was all, but I threatened guys' lives. I threatened guys. Careers, I I went after guys that I didn't really have any beef with to get you know I don't know if it was right or not, but that's how that's what happened in my career and you know I did it though from a place of like a genuine place of I want to be part of the team I'm on and I want to do the most for my teammates and who cares about the guy across from me That's not saying I don't want to hurt him or I want to hurt him I want to beat him and I know. I, I, you, you, you played at like the highest level, Jay, and and gone through it. You went a different path than I did, but the only way you got there was you, you, you were willing to battle more often than the next guy. I would say, outside of the talent level.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, that's a a word that a word that I talk with lots, and maybe you can speak to this. I mean, because I think that you were you know, uber competitive and that you're talking about guys, you know, competitiveness, there is a scale for sure, right? Like where, where you live, where you can live on that scale. And some guys have more of it than others. Uh, that trait to me in the game today, and we're talking about the younger guys, I think that's a place where people can really stand out if they have that level of competitiveness because the game isn't quite as gritty. It's not quite as physical. Um, there's there's ways to get noticed in those in those dirty areas now. I think more so than ever. I mean like a guy like like who's a good example? I don't know, like a Hoglander in Vancouver or like a Yamamoto. These are smaller guys that that you're not physically scared of, but they are massively competitive. And you know, and 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 I recognize them every time they're on the ice and they have a shift. Uh, do you see that yourself? Like as far as that competitive aspect, like do, do you think that is a spot where guys can find their niche, maybe more so than we were around?
0: I hope that every young kid, if if they're watching this, you have to find that edge, no doubt. And you know what? If you do, I'm just – think of Matthew Kachuk in Calgary, um, who, you know what, he, if, you, if you're if you not on his team or you're from a different city, you probably don't like Matthew Kachuk. But guess what? What does he – first of all, what does he care? The Calgary Flames love him. His teammates love him. And he's a guy that brings his teammates into the fight. Like, dude, that, that's a special quality that he – he comes in, he stirs it up. Mind you, he's also talented enough to, to score the game winner and be on the ice in overtime and, and in the most important parts of the game. So again, that's all about who you are as a as a player. But yeah, for these young guys, if like if there's more Tom Wilsons coming at 17, 18 years old, show yourself, get out there, do it. Because guess what? There is there, there's 31 teams and 32 teams soon that are like waiting for you to arrive. Yeah the scene right i mean yeah so but from a defensive standpoint willingness to block shots i think those guys are the toughest guys in the game too like forget the fighting and all of, like back in the day because listen the world has changed Hockey's different i i don't want to go there anymore because if you don't evolve you die but
1: yeah.
0: the guys that block shots and getting to get in the shooting lanes they're the toughest guys in the game so there's different ways to show your compete level and, and, right. your, and your Right, you're talking about Yamamoto. I mean, yeah, it doesn't blow you away physically, but you know what? He beats you the pucks because he's quicker. He's tenacious. And by the way, when you're a little bit smaller and you have that fight in you, you're going to draw more penalties because you're going to frustrate a guy like you or I or whoever, and and we're going to be a step behind, and what are you going to do? You're going to take a penalty on him. Guess where he's strong. Guess where he's a threat when you get on the power play, whether it's him or his teammate, you know. Yeah for 97 like that is worse or tougher yeah. or more intimidating than Bob Probert ever was in his career
1: yeah I agree um yeah there's different ways to frame that that's why I like having the discussions about it with the with the players that I work with of like how do you define competitiveness and where do you fit into that you know where, where does that fit in for you because there's definitely ways to turn to turn that up. I interviewed Tyler Wright another name I'm sure you recognize. And, uh, he's director of amateur scouting now with, uh, with the Oilers. And one of the questions he, he shared that he, he, he asked his area scouts is when I'm talking about players, I always want to know, would you rather play with them or would you rather play against them? You know? And, uh, and I thought that was an interesting way to frame it, right? Because like the, you said, like that Matthew to Chuck, you'd, mu- you'd much rather have him on your team, right? Guaranteed. You don't, you don't really want to have him on the other side of the ice because he's pissing you off and he's an agitator and he might score against you and he might hit you and he might fight you and you just – you don't really want to go there, right? So uh, – but it doesn't have to be a Matthew Kachuk. Like a Kyler Yamamoto, you want to play with him too because he's annoying, right? He's a pest. He's a pain in the ass. He doesn't go away. So, um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, that's an initial way to frame it. There's a uh, – there's a question that that came up. Uh, actually, it's from my my father-in-law, ironically, who is a big hockey fan. He's he's over in Michigan right now. And you mentioned Bobby Probert. Uh, here, I'll put I'll put it on the screen. Uh, he says, uh, "How would you rate Bob Probert as one of many you answered the call with?" I recall one in Detroit. The two of you went at it nonstop. Uh, do you did you fight Proby and uh, and what's your memory of him?
0: I uh, you know what I I I never. It's Bill, right? So I never fought Bob Probert. Um, I wanted to. I'll tell you a funny story in a minute. But um, the guy was the best. Joey Kosher on his right wing, though, made Bob Probert the greatest of all time. Because I really do believe Joey Kosher was the scariest of them all. You know, and so a lot of guys have, listen, I would call me a flyweight when I started, which that's probably not accurate. But um, stepping in to fight Probert or Kosher was probably way out of my league as a a 19-year-old. um I was deathly afraid to fight Joey kosher because he had the right hand and he would hurt you and I would I would have subscribed that that I bet you a lot of players when they went into Detroit or were playing against the Red Wings um, actually had that you know come to Jesus moment in their pregame nap or whatever and said if anything happens do I want to get knocked out or do I want to just get beat by the best and I think Bob Probert fought a lot more guys because they didn't want to fight Joey kosher so that that right. that's the Proby's the best, Uh, amazing teammate. What what he did for his his teams, his cities, um, and and just the energy he brought into buildings um, and visiting buildings, you know, mainly. Um, Bob Proby sorely missed. Uh, Amazing, you know, obviously he was troubled. He had issues, as do a lot of guys. Um, And unfortunately, he passed away at a very young age, way too soon. Um, But I wore number 24 when I played for the Detroit Red Wings, I called Chris Chelios. He had just left the, the year prior and he was down going, trying out in Atlanta. And I, I called him, I said, Hey, do you have any problems? If, if I actually sign my contract here, I want to wear number 24. And, um, he's like, not a, you know, just go ahead. I mean, I don't care. I mean, I'm gone. It's it's just a number. It's a Jersey, but I did I wanted to re- respect Kelly. Cause was it ever going to be raised to the rafters? I mean, he was on Stanley cup winners and he's Chris Chelios and then he had Proby. So, um, very honoured to wear that number. Um, I understood the – the, or I felt that there was a real responsibility wearing it. Um, but in Chicago, it was – Matthew Barnby and I were playing in Buffalo 1996-97, if I'm not mistaken. We were wearing the white black jerseys, you know, with the mm-hmm. Buffalo head. Um, so I want to say that was 96-97. And we were going on – we were on a, a real terror. We had the best goaltender in the in, in, in the sport, um, Dominic Hasek. He won the Vezina in the Hart. We're up, I don't know, 10, 14, 16 points on the Pittsburgh Penguins for first place in our division. So we're kind of like cruising through like a three week period of the season, kind of, you know, don't want to do too much to get injured because the playoffs are up around the corner or whatever. And we went into Chicago and we were at dinner. And Matthew Barnaby is he's a great guy, but he's a little bit whacked. And we had we had a bet at dinner. He was like, for whatever reason, he's like, Yeah, oh, you're you know, you're not tough enough. You won't fight Probert. Of course, I'm scared scared to death, but I'm like, you know, screw you, Matthew. Of course, I'll fight him. I'll fight him first. Okay, well, whoever fights him first, call it, you know, $500. It might have been a $100 bet. might have been $500. I have no idea. But so we make a bet who's going to fight Probert first. The problem in that is we're on the same line. So every time we're on the ice, we're on the ice together, and then you got Proby, and we end up playing against Probert's line. So the first shift I'm cross-checking him in the back of the pants. Not hard enough for him to turn around and really want to fight me, but enough to show my buddy and everybody else that, hey, I'm, I'm into this one. I'm going to go after Probert, which is <laughs> a very weak way to do it. Barney comes over, and he cross-checks Probert. And so now the whistle goes, and stuff happens, whatever. And I say to Probert, fight me. And Barney comes in. He's like, now fight me. And Probert, he skates off to his bench. The next shift, we come out. The same story, same thing happens. I, I hit Probert, Matthew comes flying in, Matthew cross checks me, right? Get away, fight me. And he looks at Bob Probert and he's like, nah, fight me, Probert You don't want him. And I'm like, you know, screw you, Matthew. I want him. And then he looks at us both, right? This, I swear, I'll never forget it. He said, he goes, you know, he goes, what's wrong with you two idiots. <laughs> what, what, and I think he threw an, you know, an effort in, in front of that. What's wrong with you two idiots. I'm not going to, I'm not fighting either one of you guys get the out of my face, whatever. And he skates off. So we get back to the bench and this is on Easter Sunday, by the way, Easter Sunday. So he probably had a family gathering to go to right after it's an afternoon game. And um, we get back to the bench. We didn't look at each other and we're like, we're good. You know, we give a little fist pump right there. Like, okay. The bet, stupid bet, bets off. Let's not get murdered today. Let me finish the game we played. But no, Bob Probert, he, um, he instilled still fearing guys. But for his teammates, um, he protected them big time. And he brought energy into the building, most importantly.
1: Just going to take a short break from the conversation with Brad May to give a shout out to anyone with a dancer in their house or in their lives. Yes, mothers, fathers, aunts, uncles. Brothers, sisters, grandparents, if you have a dancer in your life, this is for you. My wife, Sarah Podolan, for those of you who don't know, was a thing down in Los Angeles before we met. Um, she was a professional actress, a professional dancer, and dancer has been something she's been doing since she could walk and she was damn good at it too one of the best i've seen toured with paul mccartney on his world tour uh worked with britney spears she's in her baby one more time video did the oscars did the grammys Um, been in lots of movies that you know anyways she's been there done that on a professional level and now she's taking all of her expertise and everything she's learned, and everything she knows, and she's putting it into young dancers across North America with a program that she's developed called My Dance Live. It's a four-week program uh, where she gets young dancers together who want to level up and want to learn some skills that are going to help them in dance um, that are going to be relatable to their mindset, relatable to the intention that they bring to to their craft. And Sarah is a pro at this stuff. She's going to work with your dancer one-on-one, um I shouldn't say one on one in a group mess in a group call on the on the weekends and uh, it's really really exciting and I'm really proud of the program that she's put together so for anyone there who's listening up my hockey 20 is your promo code that's up my hockey 20 if you have a dancer in your life you want to step into this four-week course i promise you it's going to be amazing uh it starts on march 15th so go to my dance live is where you find out about this mydancelive.ca make sure you get the ca in there and, uh, and find out everything you need to know about the program. I do not do, do it justice. Um, the program is all laid out there, so check it out. If you do want to know more about my wife and her background, it's sarahsmithpadolin.com. So that's it. My Dance Live. Get your dancers in there with up my hockey 20 for a promo code, and you get $20 off the course. Hope you enjoy it. Now back to the episode with Brad May. Yeah, well, and he was. Uh, I think what was cool, and I mean, I remember watching him growing up, is that you know he put the puck in the net too. He could he could score, right? So he was he was kind of that perfect blend, right? Of of you know offense and and toughness and uh, respectability. He kind of you know I think he enamored a, a lot of hockey fans the way he played for sure.
0: I I just for your father in law, I think, and I might be wrong because, but I think Bob Probert, if he's not the only one, I, there can't be many more. He had 30 goals, 300 penalty in the one, which I think I don't know if that's ever been matched, but that was Bob Probert, and right. I think you got, you yeah. got, and he was an all-star that year too.
1: That's awesome. Um, let's go back with you. I mean, I know that we we touched a little bit on the bus during that alumni trip there, and again, we're uh, just saying we're we're live here on Facebook and and uh, YouTube. So thanks for everyone tuning in right now. Uh, and if you have a question for Brad, by please by all means, you know that's what it's all about. Uh, please ask away, but. You can it came from humble beginnings uh, as far as from a minor hockey scenario, right? I mean, you. you I don't remember if it was B-hockey or how you qualified it, but like kind of like, – well, let's just – you tell a story. I mean, go, going back there and then kind of the rise to the OHL and then again to the, to the NHL was was not, let's say, ordinary. Why don't you walk us through what that was all about?
0: Yeah, well, so again, um, the, everybody's path is different. Um, mine would certainly – it's mine, and and when I was thirteen years old, I was I'm a late birthday, so I'm the young guy on every team I play on. Right, um, my birthday's late November. When I was thirteen, I got cut from, I is that bantam? I can't remember whatever the levels are, but um, I get cut from my bantam double A team in Markham, and my parents had split up, so I came from one town to Markham. I played on this team for two years, um, from eleven and twelve. And of course, all those guys, you wear the same jacket, your buddies, this is it. This is life, you know, and it's it, certainly in Canada. And I know down here in California, people come from hours away, right? They drive and and because there's not enough ice, ice ice arenas and everything around. But in our small town, go to the same school, you're with your buddies, and all of a sudden you get cut in, I don't know, September 20th, school just started, and you're not their, not that you're not their friend anymore, but you don't wear the same jacket. So if, number one. You're not on their team, so you're not in the same circle. You're not doing the same things. So I, I went back and played house league hockey and pretty much developed a whole new friend group. And for two years, I played with these guys, house league, and then we, we were like a select single A team or whatever we were. And, um, but I was on the ice a lot more than this double A team. That's the thing. So being able to actually go and not have the pressure of being told what to do, but you're able to go out and actually play. Like, and I was a better player than the kids playing house league, of course, at that time. So all of a sudden I'm on the ice a little bit more than everyone else, but I'm passing the puck to um, a player, Nig- Nigel Whitfield. I'll never forget him. He learned how to play hockey that year and he scored the winning goal in the mayor's tournament. That's true story. And it was a big deal. We got a medal. It was a great thing. And Nigel, Whitfield, he scored the winner. And I, I had a part in that because I was on the ice, but, but we if you don't, keep the best players or and i'm saying this at the triple a level too because i think i think the brain drain or the talent drain when they take off to other other centers and to go play in other teams if you don't have a better competition or somebody to strive to become and emulate and follow then it's your your, your products can be watered down for me i was able to be the guy that actually was was on the ice with you know lesser players i got more confidence So if I stayed at double-A, I probably maybe don't ever make it because I'm just grouped in with that group and you do what you do and you're not on the power play and you're going to be a third-line player or whatever, all of a sudden I'm on the power play against the worst players in Markham. Yes, but guess what? When you score goals, you believe in yourself and you have more confidence. So that's my start anyways. Five years later from being cut on that team, five years, that was a first-round draft pick to the Buffalo Sabres.
1: Yeah. Like that's like that's wild. I mean, I love that, right? Because that is the age group of my kids. And by the way, your birthday date is the exact same day as my youngest son, uh, Thompson. So November 29th. So you, you, you share a birthday with my youngest son and he's-
0: Sagittarius. Uh,
1: yeah. Well, which is cool too, because I mean, he's actually a taller kid. He's the tallest of my three boys so far. So the late birthday isn't quite as obvious, but yeah, I mean, he's a you know, he's a month away from being even a year younger. And right now he's, he's playing up a level. So it's, uh, it's definitely a big deal, right? Like when you're younger, uh, it, it it is a big deal because you think about that from a percentage standpoint of how much longer these kids have been alive for, right. And been able to grow for and how much more ice time that is. So you're, you're, you're always chasing, uh, which is interesting. Like, do you think that was helpful in its own way also being, being a late birthday?
0: I think it was the greatest thing ever. So that's where, um, um, the, the book, what is it? Outliers. You know, it speaks of birth years and stuff. Um, and in hockey specifically, um, no, I think it was a, it was a bonus for for me because when I made my junior team Niagara Falls, so going to junior, get drafted um, to major junior in Ontario. I what pick ninth, were you for the draft? So I was I was picked I think eighty six or something like that. It was I was the ninth pick in the or. The ninth pick by the Hamilton Steelhawks, but in the sixth round there was three picks, and I was the third one. So nine, anyways. So there was eight players in that draft that were ahead of me in the depth chart. If you have anything like that going to training camp that summer, my team in Niagara Falls or in Hamilton moved to Niagara Falls, and we were the Niagara Falls Thunder, Jason. So um, that's where I went. We ended up being we were the best team in Canada that year. We didn't make the Memorial Cup. We lost in the OHL final. We had Brian Fogarty who broke Bobby Orr's records um in junior we had Stanley. that one broke like the all-time Ontario Hockey League point like career points we I want to say if if they had a draft that was uh, 23 teams which are 24 teams um we would have nine first round draft picks to the NHL on that team like our team was loaded with players Fogarty Scott um, Scott Pearson, Keith Osborne, all first rounders. Jason Soles, first rounder, never never panned out. But he to Edmonton Oilers. Keith Primo, third overall. Brad May, fourteenth overall. Um, we had Paul Laus was the first pick, so like the twenty second pick in the draft of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You go down the line. Jamie Leach was he played with
1: Paul. That's crazy. Yeah, and I see Mark Lawrence on that team too. He was a, he was an Islander there for a while too.
0: Larry Larry Mark Lawrence was um, was the first round draft pick that year to our team. And um, he he took a different path. He made it, and he scored. He scored a bunch of goals in the NHL for a short period. And then um, I'm not sure where Larry ended up.
1: Right. Yeah. Interesting. So, talk about making that team because, like, you you know, like to be a first to be a, well, actually, I guess you you said you were a late. You were a late draft pick. Then you end up getting to be a first overall. I mean, a first round pick in the NHL. And your points and your penalty minutes kind of seem to. Progress uh, equally, you know. Like your first year there, you were fighting a lot. It looks like maybe not getting that much ice time. Is that how you got your start? Like got your foot in the door? Was with was with your fists more than your more than your stick?
0: Yes, hundred percent. And and never other than being beaten up as a kid by my brother every day doing everything that we did. Um, I got to training camp. I, I took taekwondo that summer. Yeah, my. My, my dad said, hey, listen, you got you to get yourself tougher because you're going to play against men if you make this team. I mean, even if you come back to play junior B in Markham or whatever it's going to be, you're going to be playing against older teenagers. Um, you better, you know, toughen up. So I went and I took Taekwondo five, six days a week, um, which I, I, I recommend any type of martial arts for, for all you young players. I think it's a mental training. You walk in, you have to bow. You, you, I mean, there's a real respect and there's a real hierarchy when you go to a dojo. And I'm not the Karate Kid. I don't mean it like that. But when I got there, all of a sudden I, I was learning how to grapple, you know, little judo, judo, and everything that that taekwondo encompasses. You know, from from flips. But you're working on your legs and power and explosiveness and everything else. I think it's a great training tool. But so I did that. I didn't know how tough I was. And I got to training camp. I'm trying to make the team, and I'm like, and I get I I probably playing too aggressive, and and some big guy comes flying across at me he's the aggressive aggressor he wants to make it make a name for himself and i thumped him and i can't remember the the, the guy exactly but and then i get to a an exhibition game and i and i beat the crap out of the next guy i was only 170 pounds you know as i when i first got there and um i don't it worked out well i i, I was prepared i guess if maybe i didn't even know what i was preparing for but when i got there i was prepared and all of a sudden I, had, I was in 54 fights. I had over 300 penalty minutes my first year junior because I could do it and I became good at it. And and then the next year, Bill of 54.
1: 40, I got to stop you there. 54 fights? Yeah,
0: I had... And so, Terry Toporoski in the Western League had over 500 penalty minutes, but they count 10s in the w, WHL. In, in the Ontario Hockey League, they don't count... Um, when I say 10s, game misconducts, right? So, those 10s, well, two five ten is seventeen minutes in the Ontario Hockey League. We'd get twelve minutes for a fight. Sorry, seven minutes for that fight. But yeah, right, right. The, for the ten minute misconduct, so I would have five hundred seventy five penalty minutes or something like that. Which, by the way, is might be you might be considered a complete jackass, or or it's a badge of honor for me. Um, I don't know. I just did it. It was part of it. And and Bill of Forge was like the conduit. He was he was an amazing man tough, probably ruined hockey players, but he certainly made me at that time. And then the next year he said to me after the third game, Jason, sorry. He goes, Hey, he called me into his office and he goes, Brad, he goes, um, how many goals are you away from 50? And I said 50 and he goes, okay. How many assists are you away from 50? And I said 50. He goes, okay. So you have zero points in the first three games now, Brad. And I said, yes. He goes, well, you need to be a 100-point player to get drafted to the National Hockey League. He goes, how are we going to get this done? I ended up with 98 points and played with Keith Primo. And he said, Brad, you've done all you need to do on the fighting element. I've got guys to to run that that interference. You know, you got to fight your battles, but you're here to play. You're going to play with Keith. You're going to be on the power play. And I'll tell you right now, if you don't get going, you're not going to be on the power play. So you're going to good luck to you, but have a good weekend. And I think yeah. right at that moment, I was like, I have a guy in my corner that just gave me the recipe for my success. And he's going to allow me if I, if I show up every day and work hard. And that, that motivated me, inspired me more than anything. And yeah, I got drafted that year. It was fun.
1: Yeah. Drafted high. Like you said, 91 points, 33 goals. Uh, I heard you on a, on a different interview. I can't remember where. Um, speaking about you know the physical side and the fighting, and and I think you might even just went out right and said that you actually like you loved it, like you you really enjoyed it. Uh, that's sometimes not the case, and often isn't the case, even from the guys who are tough and doing it. Like they, they didn't really look forward to it. Uh, so I guess I mean, if assuming that was true, or I or I heard that correctly, like. That must have been a massive advantage for you in and of itself. This was something that you actually look forward to and like doing.
0: Great question. I, so it's not a popular answer in a lot of circles when I say I love fighting. I do. I think it's beautiful. I think it's like a person who loves the ballet. Every move has a purpose. When I watch Conor McGregor or whoever fighting in the UFC, I love it. Now, maybe, yeah, I'm a pugilist. Sure, I'll take that. I'll take yeah. that later. I, I think it's beautiful. It's, it's combat, you know, however, we have to like, put it in perspective. Um, the game of hockey today is different. So, you know, obviously I don't prescribe to say, Hey guys have to go and fight. But back in our day, Jay, there was, there was five guys on each team that yeah. literally maybe they didn't want to fight, but that was, and yeah, there's probably better hockey players playing in the minors and in Europe or whatever hockey players, but to actually build the team of the game that was played in the eighties and nineties, I started in 90, but whatever. That toughness that, that that physical element was huge. Um, no, I love fighting. The only thing I miss about playing hockey is I can't fight anymore. Cause I can still skate, shoot, pass, hit, right? If I want to go out and play a shitty game, I can do that. Yeah. Minus the hitting. And it's certainly not as quick and good as it once was. But you can never tee off on somebody's face ever, ever again. Right. <laughs> it's true. So, but with say that, getting hit getting hit is is it was a rush too. it was it kind of it it was it was that one moment where you you literally were sizing yourself up against the other next guy and you know who's better and guess what there's nowhere to hide here it's in front of it's like a coliseum you're in front of 16 or twenty thousand people and the rush you got from that the adrenaline was amazing so yeah i am i am i'm sad that it's gone i'm sad that i can't do it anymore however um I'm incredibly proud that I did it really well. I I, right. I I I think and and for the most part, outside of a few questionable moves where maybe you, you were too jacked up or over the over the past the apex, I did it honorably. You know, for the most part, I, I hit a couple guys when I probably shouldn't have. No question that you know at at the end of a fight or maybe prematurely, you know, and, and got one in quickly, which maybe doesn't make you feel as as honorable as you should. Um, yep. I did it for 20 years didn't get hurt other than hurting myself and yeah I, I i i think that i can look at those other tough guys and in, in the face and everyone else and i think they would say that you know what you played the game honorably and i think that's that's cool
1: yeah well yeah i mean definitely definitely a respected piece of the game and and you know from the fans for sure but more so from the guys that were in the locker room with you you know because you know you we, we keep mentioning back and in our day. And I mean, it was a different game for sure. I think everyone had an element of that toughness in them. You had to, or else you couldn't really arrive in the scene to begin with. Um, Other guys took a different level, but it was, I mean, it's a hard thing to do, you know, and especially in that era when there was so many guys that were just massive. And that was a thing like, I mean, I don't, This is not a dis I I wouldn't have put you in that heavyweight category per se. Right. But you were fighting those guys. Like, did you, did you see yourself as that? Like as an enforcer? How did, like, what was your identity for you, Brad May, when you showed up at the rink? What, what did you think you, you were, who are you trying to be?
0: Great question. Um, I, I never saw myself as a heavyweight. That's for sure. But I definitely knew that if I prepared properly. And, and that's mentally that's, that's okay. I've got 24 hours from, you know, Wednesday game going into Boston to play the Bruins tomorrow. Okay. Who's there? What do I have to do? And Oh, what happened the last couple of games? And is there, you know, what's, what's been brewing? Um, so having that, that ability to kind of compartmentalize these moments for me, I think I did a better job than most for sure. Um, I did not see myself as a heavyweight, but I wasn't afraid what I did where i got my confidence quite a bit of it early on was um Gord donnelly and rob ray were on our on my team and brad miller we had a, we had a pretty tough team when i first got to buffalo not to mention with lafontaine and mcgillney right dale howard chuck so hall of famers and a bunch of bunch of knuckleheads right and but i but i got i was able um i was able to i would call me a chameleon in, in this description I think the tough guys on the other team recognized that I was whatever. Thankfully, I was a first round draft pick and I was a, I could play. So I was able I had the ability to play on the first line or second line. I, play, I played two minutes a night on the fourth line, many nights, um, but I could move around. So I think that tough guy that you were going to face kind of he probably let me off the hook. A little me as, as a young guy, 19, whatever, I got in there because there was a whole other list of guys, Rob Ray, Donnelly, Miller, you know, that were already right. there picking their chops. So in many ways, I got number two or number three on every team early on in my career. If Brad, right. if I fight number one, I may win probably, you know, a draw because I was pretty defensive, but I, it, I'm not going to get beat bad. I don't believe. Right. But if I fight number two, or, and if I get number three on their team, look out. That's how I felt. And But I I was only able to have that feeling when I had a big brother like Rob Ray and a bigger brother, Gore Donnelly. We were the only team in the history of hockey to have three guys over 300 penalty minutes, and I did it my rookie season with, with those two guys,
1: which is oh, cool. cool.
0: That's another thing. Like, I wish I could tell you I scored 50 goals and, you know, whatever. And, and I was on that line that did this or that. But you know what? When you – when you have some achievements, you gotta you gotta trumpet them, and and our team in Buffalo was a ton of fun to watch, and I think we did it for the right reasons, but we were kind of a sideshow at times too. I think.
1: Yeah, well, you probably had a band of brotherhood a little there, a little bit. Like when you have those other guys, and you're not the only one. I'm sure there's uh you know, whatever you want to call it, a fraternity kind of there where where. I don't know. Maybe describe that. Like, what was the room like? Did you guys did you guys call off shots of who you who you wanted to fight or what you wanted a piece of or how you were going to protect so and so? Like was there was there discussions about that? It, it,
0: it was almost it, organically. It just fell into place. I think everybody recognized it. And then the times that maybe you you know there was a guy that you know he speared you last game or slashed you in your wrist and whatever it is, right? Um, or he went after Pat LaFontaine last game. Let's make that up. Okay, who's getting them? Because guess what? Whoever gets them is in Patty's favor. Patty's going to take you out for a steak dinner. You know what I mean? So there was that whole part of like sibling rivalry, whatever. But yeah, we'd sit around and and again, I had good mentors, good, good veteran players. You know, if you show me shitty veteran players, that rookie class of player coming behind them will become shitty veteran players. If yep. you show me a great mentor group, a great locker room, like to going back to the culture, and whatever. You look at those young guys, they may not win a Stanley Cup in that team or, or whatever, but all of a sudden, they get moved around. They become the mentors, right? Think of Pittsburgh. Think of, the, think of the teams that develop players. Detroit Red Wings, of all their players. You know, Pittsburgh recently, obviously the Tampa Bay Lightning, the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, those are four teams in the last 15 years that have been amazing, right? They had the best veteran core. You had Chicago, they had Marion, Hosa, Patrick Sharp, Duncan Keith, who's still a player, making making a big difference with two young studs, stars, mm-hmm. right? Kane, and, Kane yeah. and Tate. You go into Pittsburgh, they won their first Stanley Cup, but they they had made trades that year. Bill Guerin, Chris Kunitz coming into Pittsburgh, all of a sudden playing with Sidney and, and, and Genny Malkin and Chris Letang. You know what they learned from those guys and all of a sudden they went on to win three more or two more whatever the number is yeah. uh, i i just i think i think that i don't want to say it gets overlooked but i think it should be spoken of a lot more of the the hierarchy and the, the dynamic in a locker room like yeah. if, if coaches or evaluators of talent actually started talking about the intangibles they wouldn't draft half the players that they picked in that same position if they knew about the intangibles of that other player that that, that was picked somewhere else
1: mm-hmm. I think intangibles are- what intangibles are those do you think if you were to pick a couple Can you put some words to them
0: yeah and i and i don't think you can i think it's a feel thing obviously but i team ability is everything so team ability is he a good teammate you know it if he is well that's a that's a prerequisite if anybody's like if if the word selfish comes into equation me as an evaluator i don't want him unless he's my best player <laughs> You know what I mean? And if he's your best player, then guess what? We can, we can strategize around that. But selfishness is brutal. Um, Perseverance, right. But perseverance talking about, you know, where did he come from? Broken family, you know, dyslexic, learn how to read whatever that guy persevered. I'm talking Brett Sopel for a second. And all of a sudden he's a hell of a player wins the Stanley cup years later. Brilliant story. And If you knew about brent where he came from which at the time but the the good good evaluators the good scouts good coaches they recognized it and 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 then they cultivated it so um i'm sure there's other ones jason but i i think though for me it's team ability is you it's one thing to do something good and well yourself but how do you share it with your teammates and how do you make them better
1: yeah yeah i mean well said I think you talked about Pittsburgh. I mean, like that environment that Sidney Crosby came into, I mean, as a, as a young, as a young player, I mean, like Lemieux comes back, right. He has, he has these guys in, in the locker room that a lot of these new stars don't, didn't have and don't have, you know? So like now he's one of the greatest, you know, players of our era and maybe of all time and recognized as one of the best leaders too. But he, he was around that environment that you're talking about. Whereas I kind of feel bad for a guy like Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid. And I'm not saying they, I don't know the players on that team and I don't know who their veterans are. And I'm not saying that they're not, they're not good guys, but they're not storied Hall of Famer guys. You know, like they're not guys that have been there, done that, that you can just sit there and soak it up, right? Like Connor McDavid and Jack, they have to be the guy and they had to be the guy young and they didn't know what, what being the guy was. They knew how to be the best hockey player. On the team like you said but they don't know how to lead they don't want to lead 20 men to the stanley cup right like they've never seen that before so i think that it is interesting you know when you talk about leadership and being a part of that team environment what you're exposed to at a young age it, i mean i think it massively matters like without question it matters uh and once you got it you want to hang on to that as long as you can like the ken hollands i've had him on this show before and like recognizing like when steve Eiserman made that big Move like with Scotty Bowman there to not worry about scoring 160 points a year. Like now, it's going to be about how to get everybody better, you know. And then that gets transferred down to the Datsics and the Zetter- and the Zetterbergs, and they they now understand that. And like you know, then it becomes part of the DNA of that organization. But it, I think it has to start at the top, you know, with with your top guys.
0: Yeah, well, you spoke of one of the best best ever, Kenny Holland. Uh, ran an unbelievable ship. Played. I got to play 19 years and finished my career with Detroit. Um, if, Kenny Holland, true to his word, everybody respected him. You no, know, he he made tough decisions. He got rid of me too. Right. Like I, at the end of, at the end of the day, um, at that time you got to look yourself in the mirror. So a lot of, a lot of players leave the game sour and bitter, but Kenny Holland ran a great ship. He understood that, that ingredient. Nick Lindstrom, Datsuk, Zetterberg, Holmstrom, Draper, Maltby, you know, you go down the line in that locker room. Um, Todd Bertuzzi's on that team, Um, talent, experience, character. um, And and we we lost in the second round of the playoffs. I mean, they're Stanley Cup winning teams and teams probably in other years that should have won a Stanley Cup um, were even, you know, packed and loaded even even further. But talk about Sidney Crosby, because obviously amazing. He just played his 1,000th game and everything else um, in Pittsburgh gary roberts is another guy that you got to bring into the equation maybe he wasn't the best hockey player which he was amazing um i don't know how many points 700 or something like that but this guy he did some great things i think you played with him in toronto jason but gary roberts this guy he's 50 something years old and he's and he's ripped he's got a lifestyle because he broke his neck and he had to find a way so he persevered and he comes to pittsburgh in two thousand and five, six, i believe um when he goes to pittsburgh for his last little, you know, kick at the can. And he's got a young Sidney Crosby waiting, looking for information, hungry for the recipe. And Gary Roberts built their high-performance facility at their arena. He's part of their team. He's part of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and he's part of the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't know if he currently is now, but he's yeah. had signed contracts with those three teams to run their their physical, their development, their, um, their athletic division. Yeah. Gary Roberts, man. This guy, this guy's a world beater. He, he yeah. changed the game. He's, his movement has changed the game how they eat, how they sleep, how they drink, what they want to do, how they want to look, body fat, the whole deal.
1: Yeah. I've, I've heard a lot of great things about him. And, um, and he's been, we mentioned McDavid too. I mean, he's been working with McDavid, I think, uh, on a one on one kind of level, um, from what I understand. And, and obviously, we all know that what Connor McDavid's doing. So yeah, I mean, Gary Gary's got. I've never heard anyone say a bad word about him. You mean from a locker room, from a teammate's side, and even now, what he's doing uh, post hockey to, to help grow the game. So yeah, who you're who you're around matters. I think I think Talkett was in that dressing room with uh, with Crosby too when he was first coming in. You know, like and there's another example of leadership, right? And and how to play. Did you d- just back to you, Brad? Like, did you ever? You know, y- y- you seem you had your most success from a point standpoint early on in your career, uh, and I also noticed, because I love digging into the stats, like your third season was when you almost scored 20 goals, had, had your career high in points, 45. Um, you, had, you only had 171. I say only, just because you had 300 your first year. So, I mean, your penalty minutes went down by half, and your goal and point production went up. Do you think that was uh, an inverse relation that, that, that mattered? Like one, one led to the other?
0: I've had a conversation with Shane Corson, and course was course was a better player than me and tougher like or same toughness level like he he's one of the toughest fights i was ever in he's a few years older than me f- call it five years older i believe and we talked about it he's like brad he goes do you think you could have played better if you didn't want to fight and you weren't as hungry to do those things like on a back-to-back situation you know you're you're not feeling great we're clearly that has to affect the way you handle the pocket how you approach like when you're not sleeping in the afternoon because you're like okay oh my god probert and kosher are here i'm not thinking about dangling you know um steve duchene at the blue line like I, that's not even my thought process on that afternoon where so right. had that conversation and i definitely think that there's, there's there's definitely there's a correlation to that whole thing and Coaching, like, hey, Brad, you're gonna play. You're playing 15, 18, maybe in some cases 20 minutes tonight. Like, you can't fight, bud. We need you to play here, and and that was a that, that was so great to actually be told that. But the game ends up getting out of control, and and then my first instinct is I have to be in the fight, or I have to be in there. Like, I can't allow that to happen. And I think it. I think it. It's maybe slowed my, my, my offensive production down for sure now. But, but now the whole, if, um, I was going to say, if, if my aunt had, she'd be my uncle, right. You you know, that saying, or if I wasn't that guy who was aggressive and scaring defensemen and and driving the net and just being an ass and a pain to play against. Would I even have got those 45 points? Would I have been in this position to score? Like, I think I'm good enough to be able to do it. But, or did I get them because of? So, yeah. when I of course, I'm like, yeah, I can't sit back and, and second guess what we did. Could we have been better? Yeah. But then again, if I went down that path, maybe I only played 12 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe I didn't have another, uh, like, element and perspective that, that GMs or coaches wanted to have in their locker room. I like, I don't know. I, right. So, I don't want to play that what-if game. But yeah. I do think that I, I had the ability to be better and score more goals and do all that. But again, team ability. What where are you? Who are you playing with? And by the way, playing for Buffalo in that market is different than playing for you know, um, I say the Toronto Maple Leafs. It, it's a different market, a different drive. Blue collar city to a you know corporate town. How do you how do you how do you juggle all those balls or, or your position on these teams? And I think every player is different.
1: We're going to, uh, yeah, when I was digging in, because I knew you had the stats in junior just from before, right? I knew you played in a world junior team, which we won't get into. And I know we talked about that on the bus. Like, what a memorable moment. And, and, uh, you know, I I think that you said probably second to winning the Stanley Cup was one of the highlights of your hockey career, right? Like winning that gold medal.
0: It's so long ago that I almost, I don't really remember when I say that, but there's no question it's number two on the list. And for... 17 years it was number one um winning a gold medal and and i remember so often you're laying on the you don't have confidence or you're, you're right there and you're you're Im- using imagery and goal setting and you've got all your stuff like we all had our routines and you'd go back to okay you know how did i feel when i when i made the team how did i feel when i made that move how did i when i scored that goal to get me invited to that camp and you know what those feelings that you that you tap into is exactly how you want to feel tonight in their next game, and and okay. and we so if you could bottle the, the the zone as an athlete if in the zone or that that feeling, it'd be worth a billion dollars. Yeah, you know, if because we've all been there, we've all had that like out of body experience where the game came, like, it was slow. Things happened. It was like, wow, why couldn't I slow the game down like that for you know a thousand mm-hmm. thousand games that I played.
1: So I want to take a quick break from the show here to give a shout out to my private client, Mr. Nathan Mackey and his family. Uh, Nathan has been a private client of mine for about nine months now. Been working together on a you know semi-weekly basis. And Nathan's success story here is that he just signed a letter of commitment, a commitment letter with the Salmon Arm Silverbacks of the BCHL, which brings him one step closer to his big goal and his big dream of Uh, getting a scholarship to a Division I school down in the States. Uh, It's been so much fun, Nathan, to work with you. I just wanted to give you a shout out. You know, without your commitment, without your maturity and follow through, uh, none of this would have happened. You know, it's not, uh, it's obviously a team and, and there's more involved with your team than just me. But I do want to recognize that the stuff that we have done and we have worked on together has been on you because you have been super coachable you have been willing to participate you've been willing to work on your self assessment skills and your and your self awareness and uh and dig in to find that recipe to be the best player that you can be and i know that we are definitely shining a light uh on that recipe card and you're starting to figure it out and it's showing cuz uh for many of you that, that don't know Nathan or her story you know he he made a team this year in the fall that that uh, some people thought that he shouldn't have made and weren't going to give him a chance to make. But he definitely made that team. And he was one of the star players on that team. And he earned everything that he got, the respect from his coach, the respect from his peers, and the respect of the Salmon Arm Silverback. So congratulations, Nathan. You've earned it. You should celebrate the success in the Nathan family for being such a great supporter to you. And um, and yeah, I mean, if anyone is interested in what I do, uh i'm i'm not taking on any more private clients right now but there is other ways to get support in the ways that i am uh have supported nathan and others and and that's at upmyhockey.com so whether you're a team or whether you uh are an association or whether you're an academy or whether you're a family uh, upmyhockey.com has membership options there's courses available to get a leg up on the competition and to gain that advantage and that insight about the skills required to step into your own personal greatness and to you know align your habits with your goals and dreams. So um, really exciting stuff. I, I love working uh, with these young men and women and uh, it is really, really rewarding when some great things happen like, like they did to Nathan. So uh, yes, Nathan, congratulations to the Mackey family. Congratulations. I know this is just one step closer to where you're going to End up being and, and that ultimate goal for you of uh, going to school down in the states and who knows one day you may even put on one of those glistening NHL jerseys. So back to the episode with Brad May. Thanks for listening today. Because well, you so mentioned many. referencing like the, that moment and you're trying to cultivate it. I mean that is something that I think is more now like talked about. Like you athletes are trying to get there more often, right? And that's something that I work with athletes on is to is to, uh, you know, manifest that, that mental mind, that mental place, right? To, to be your best. Do you, which, which is inherently anti-human in some aspects because like we, we, na- we naturally want to focus on what's not going well and right. what, where we've made the mistake, right? So like it is, it's a hard thing to do. And I think it's not something that you can just show up and think it's going to happen. Like you need to, you need to consciously try to focus on what is right and when you felt good and when you had success and why you had success and be intentional about that like that, that's the first step for me when I'm working with guys is like getting that perspective to shift right instead of focusing on what didn't work out well how was it when you were great or when you are great like do you do you can you relate to that
0: that's, I I am I'm, I'm honestly I, if I showed you right now I'm I'm in Laguna Beach California I'm not being a, a smart ass and I look over the beach it's unreal i got a really neat place my wife and i right here and the only reason why i i'm sitting right here talking to you the only reason is because i live my life like that that's every decision for the most part that mm-hmm. obviously i'm i have add and i jump around and i'm and i juggle a lot of things i think i'm good at it but um the one thing i can do is hyper focus and i think that hyper focus it can be it can be you know a, a detriment if you get thinking about the wrong things. That's why positive reps, mental, mental reps, positive is more important than doing squats and bench press and everything else or as important. Yeah. Your mind is the biggest muscle that you need because it operates everything. And yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm power of positive thinking, the secret, all these, you know, I I know you're aware of that. Um, Mm -hmm. But if nobody's listened to The Secret, go on Netflix, watch the movie The Secret. It's kind of goofy, but it gives you an unbelievable story and perspective on life and what it is. Power of positive thinking. And everything that's done, I swear to God, everything that that where I'm sitting here, it's because we've adopted this in our life. We think like
1: this. We do. That's awesome. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, I would be... uh... I'd be dumb if I didn't go back to the Mayday goal. Uh, I, I told you before, if you'd be mine, because it was funny, even going back to that trip and I think we talked about, we're sitting at the at the autograph table and, you know, people are coming through and people are talking and you must have had like the Mayday conversation, even in the time I was with you, you know, I don't know, half dozen times, right? And so in my head, I'm like, oh my God, this guy has probably dealt with this so many times, he doesn't want to listen, he doesn't want to go back and revisit this goal. But I mean, there must be a piece of you because you didn't score a ton of goals like let's be honest right and that goal is like so iconic that it like it, it placed you in hockey history and in hockey lore so there must be a bit of a love hate relationship I mean it sounds what you to- the way you think about it more love because you're a positive guy um but yeah I mean I guess the, what, what does that goal mean to you now after all this time
0: well it's my nickname so people talk to me um you know Introduce themselves. Hey, May Day, I remember I remember where I was when, with that goal. Now, imagine it's 27 years ago. Approaching on eight, in April, it's 28 years ago. Nin- Sorry. Yeah, it's in 1993. April. You 1993.
1: know what, Major? I'm going to pause you because I have it queued up here. I'm going to put it on the screen. Oh, okay. Okay? So you're going to be able to see it. Yep. Full screen. And uh, let's play this thing. Let's play this thing. That's crazy, uh, you know what uh, was the audio on that? Did you hear the audio on that?
0: Oh, I heard it, yes, yes, yeah,
1: okay, cool.
0: um you know what I, I swear I haven't seen it from the face off in a long, long, long time I, I I couldn't remember I was trying to okay, where was the pocket how did it because I've seen right. the the call and the goal um just to, you know what it's a moment in time nineteen ninety three um it was my coming out party, if you will, for for me as an individual. This guy who had 300 Pelly minutes, but now he can kind of contribute on the other side and playing with Lafontaine and McGillney, which was their best year. Um, unbelievable! One of the best tandem years ever in the National Hockey League was was McGillney and Lafontaine, '92-'93. And um, I just, you know, what it was? It was it's amazing. I love hearing it. It never gets old. It's never bad. The only thing is i get a little embarrassed sometimes because it kind of is like okay you know what it's been 25 years and and there's probably 60 pounds on me <laughs> different you know it's kind of like um it, it yeah I, i'm humbled by it for sure though and there's no, no question it's it's part of that whole ramp up to the playoff hockey and overtime lore that we all love to see in the celebrations and yeah, yeah. it's cool cool it's it, they, it's um, it's my nickname, Jay. I, I love it. Yeah, him. it is.
1: Yeah, and well learned, Rick Generette. Um, I mean, what a call! It sounds like he didn't have that queued up. There was a little bit of pause there after you scored, and it was just something that seemed to me like it was instinctive for him. You know, he just came up with it on the spot and uh, and starts yelling it over and over again. But I, I mean, I,
0: Jay, I think he said sorry. I think he said going in. If you Rick Jenneret, he's awesome, right? He's, he's he really and he got inducted into the Hall of Fame, and they played that call. So of all his forty years of hockey, they. They had that call matched with him when he went to the hall. But uh, Rick said, "He goes, I, what you, I wasn't thinking about Brad May, not not at all. He hadn't scored in 22 games and whatever, something like that. Yeah, he made snide yeah. comment, but he's like, he's the last guy that was going to score at that moment, and it was. I think it was instinctual.
1: He." uh but yeah, because I, mean, I watched it too. And so you were, I mean, this, you were on the ice. Were you LaFontaine's winger that entire game or that entire playoffs? Uh,
0: it, 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 I want to say the entire playoffs. I may have started maybe game two, we changed. We made a little bit of a shift and then I, went, I moved to their line. But I played with them for about, I don't know, 30 or 40 games that season. 30, let's say at 30. And um, Dave Anderchuk was their winger, but he got traded to Toronto sometime in the new year. I don't know if it's January or February. And then I moved into that spot.
1: Wow. That's wild! I mean, what a great play by LaFontaine. He gets tripped up. He's on his belly, gets it to you. And then like, yeah, I mean, I know you've seen it, but beautiful goal against Hall of Famer, Ray Bork, threw his legs, one hand on the stick, faked the shot, you know, Mo, freeze Moog. Like, you I mean, you look like, <laughs> you look like Moogilney on that, on that play. It was a, a phenomenal.
0: It's, um, you know what? It never gets old. I, I love it. I, it's it's a great memory. But again, it's in the past. But when I'm working with these young kids now, they've watched it. Like that's kind of and, and maybe that's the one time when I don't feel good is when I'm actually doing the old self promotion, saying, "Hey, you should go to YouTube and pull up this clip." You know, one of those. But I get I, I see the joy in their face, and they're like, "Oh my god, you're not just this old fat guy. You actually right. did right one of those." Old- <laughs> you know, it's like fun. Giving back what? or relating that experience.
1: Yeah, no, I mean it's it's awesome. Part of part of hockey history. You're you're cemented in it with with that goal. And um, just a little backstory for those who who maybe aren't. I mean, you. It was an under it was an under David Goliath scenario. I mean, the Bruins were rolling. They were one of the best teams in the league. Uh, you guys were not supposed to win that series, let alone sweep it. Um, and then you end up, you know, w- scoring that decisive one to get you guys into the second round, and almost took out. Uh, well, I shouldn't say almost because you guys got swept by montreal but who went up who won the cup but i mean you guys had three overtime games against the eventual stanley cup winners so i mean you guys obviously had a had a pretty special thing going there and a couple coin flips and maybe things could have been been gone the other way
0: a couple coin flips and maybe patrick waugh not in that that would be different. Right. yeah but no yeah. you know what hey when you lose you gotta you gotta be great grateful for your opportunity but Tip your hat to a team that, you know, they were able to, they were resilient. Montreal, they scored 11 overtime goals en route to a Stanley Cup, you know, to win the Cup in yeah. five years, I believe. They won it, or six games against the LA Kings. Montreal, 11 overtime games. And you, you yeah. think of players, all DiPietro, hat tricks a couple times, um, Gilbert Dion, Jesse Jesse Belanger. I'm trying to think of other, other names. Kevin Haller. These players that were on that team that you would never remember as a hockey fan,
1: they yeah. had
0: probably seven players that never played in the NHL much longer the next, you know, in yeah. further season, which they just had the they had the buzz. They had what it what it, what it takes. Team, team. They had a good team.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Gilbert, I had the pleasure of playing with him in uh Florida, actually. I still uh kind of keep in touch with him on social media. He's a what he's just one of the best guys in the game. I think he still is. He's a fun guy. Uh Stanley Cup champion. They uh yeah, I mean you end up going on and winning a cup there with with Anaheim and there's a lot of a lot of room in between there but, but I want to touch on on the 1000 games just because you know there's there's a I've already used the word fraternity there's a brotherhood around being an NHL you I mean I'm one of them playing 41 games but I realize that that's not really part of the club I mean there's kind of like the 400 game club that there's like a little more reverence than there's 500 then like this thousand games is like there's not many of you in that you know that's a hard place to get to like was that a real proud moment for you to to hit that thousand game mark or or was it just another game
0: um so the first first thing just to go back to what you just said um yeah, there's no question. We, we gauge yourself, right? Like, I, geez, I, sco- I scored 20 or 18 goals. I, but you didn't score 20, so you're not a 20-goal scorer. So there are clubs, right? If yeah. you had 50 points, you're in the 50-point club. If you had 100, whatever. Yeah. you want to up, you're in the club, you, whatever. If you played a game in the NHL, a one game, you're part of the club. Because guess what? We have all remember, hopefully we all remember, the feeling we had when we laced them up and realized your dream, right? And right. and it came from you know the depths or wherever you came from. So I think forty-one games, Jay. Just and I'm not kissing your ass here. I, I I think nobody else other than you would, in your, in this case, would would say that. I mean, every you know because everybody else would look at you like you're you're absolute pure and equal, right? So I think that's or certainly I do, anyways. They, that I've had guys like um, I went back to Buffalo when the Pagulas bought the team in Buffalo, the Sabres and they had like a, whatever it was big party. They invited every, every living member of the Buffalo Sabres to come into Buffalo for a game and celebrate and whatever. And Terry Pagula called everybody up. So we had Jill bear pro Rick Martin, the late Rick Martin, we had Renee Robert, all these great Buffalo Sabres from the early seventies and a bunch of us through the eighties, nineties, whatever, early two thousands. and, There was a guy named Steve Smith, not the C Smith from Edmonton, but the Steve Smith um, and Gilbert pro. We called them both up to the podium, you know, to give a gift. And so we had a big bottle of wine or whatever it was. And he's like Gilbert pro Gilbert. Gilbert has played over a thousand games for the Buffalo Sabres, the most for the Sabres, but he's like the champion. He was our first pick. Um, Here's a bottle of wine. And then he had this unbelievable basket of like a bunch of bottles and candies and chocolates and whatever else in his other basket, which was nicer than the bottle of wine. And he said, Steve, he goes in, we have Steve Smith here. He's played one game in the national hockey league for the Buffalo Sabres. And I just want you guys to know the 75 of you that are here today or tonight, um, you play one game for the Sabres or you play a thousand games for the Sabres. You're all part of the family. And I just want you to recognize that this is the start of our era they haven't had any success yet, but this is the start of our era, and I want to pay, pay respects to every single one of you that have worn that jersey. And I oh, thought cool. that was cool, and I think that's a real, like, for the league, I think, guys, but 1,000 um, games was was unreal for me. Got longer. I had surgeries. I think that earlier, um, not that season, but the season prior, um, when I got traded from Colorado to the um, to the Anaheim Ducks the year we won the Cup, I was out for five and a half months shoulder surgery that was my fourth one so i've gone through that four different times like big major cut and labor labor um it's called bank art reconstruction two on one side two on the other and you go through all these like, i think 10 or 11 knee tears like ligaments broken hands stitches um all of this stuff it's all it was it's all worth it and when i got to the you know right there to play my thousandth game it was um my mom and dad were there, my wife, my kids. It was at home. I had just been traded back to the Toronto Maple Leafs, which was really cool for me. Right here, right, this guy right here, um, on that part of the picture. Um, yeah, I was the 21st player to ever play 1,000 games for the Toronto Maple Leafs, ever, in the history of, with that jersey on. And the guy yeah. who gave my jersey, or not my jersey, my silver stick, which is the gift that the NHL gives for that milestone, was Red Kelly, the late Red Kelly, recently, um, he was the first to play a thousand games for the Toronto Maple Leafs with the, wearing that's the cool. this team's been around for over a hundred years. I'm and I'm number 21. It's pretty neat to be in that. Yeah.
1: Camp. Oh man, yeah. I mean, because it's so obviously hard to do. You know, like injuries get in the way. You have to be able to play into your 30s for sure. Like, what is that? 15 seasons, maybe if you play every game, or 14 or something crazy, right? Like that's a that's a lifetime in the NHL. That's super cool. We were there. I'll tell you, I mean, one, Gary Galley played his thousands game when I was with LA and I just got called up to LA. So I was in the minors the whole year and and all the boys, sometimes there's a little bit of a disconnect (laughs) between guys who'd been in the NHL and guys who hadn't been. And there was like this collection for Gary Galley and his thousands game, like money, right? They they, were supposed to give whatever it was, like 500 bucks or whatever into this pot to buy Gary a watch or something. I was like screw you guys like gary galley doesn't need my 500 bucks i've been here for five hours you know what i mean i haven't even made 500 bucks yet oh my god it was so funny but anyways gary galley got part of his watch is from my 500 bucks so hope gary enjoys his watch <laughs> so i got an
0: unbelievable watch from the guys in toronto um jamal mares and pavel kabina thomas caverly they went and they got me this amazing i ulice nardin it's like it's just a cool cool watch cool piece but your team in LA that same season, I'd never forget this story. Just, I'm kind of like I never forget things, you know. When I when you hear them, yeah. The LA Kings had four guys that played a thousand games that year. At the, the, the same year, so think of that. You got you had you had uh, Ray Ferraro played his thousandth If I'm not mistaken, it was Ray Ferraro, yeah. Jeff um, Russ Cortnell, Russ Cortnell, Gary Galley, and um, maybe not. No, I wouldn't be Steve Duchesne, but it was some.
1: Was um, it Luke Robitaille? Uh, Blake was be- on that team. Blake was on that team. Robotai was on that team. Gary Galley. Courtney wasn't there when I was there, but he might have got traded earlier. So, I mean, I don't remember if he was there. Um, I'm just trying to think of some of the elder statesmen that were around there. But, uh, yeah, you're probably – I mean, I'm sure you're right. I mean, that's and that would be something that probably hasn't been repeated either for four guys to get their 1,000th game and on the same might team in Doug, one season. Might have been
0: Doug Bodger if Doug Bodger played in L.A. I can't remember. Might have been Doug Bodger.
1: Interesting. Yeah. That's wild. What, you know what? So after these thousand games and I mean, I, I want to, I want to touch on, well, you know what, let's go there and then we'll get back to And we'll end, we'll end with the Stanley cup and what that, I'll what be, that whole experience. My answers. What's that?
0: I'll be quick. Oh, no, no now.
1: worries. If you don't, if you have the time, I got the time, but um this thousand games. I think this is probably a good bridge to this. I mean, you talked about ending with Detroit. You talked about Kenny being an honorable guy, and you know, ending up standing you down. You never played a game in the AHL until your last season of pro hockey. Um, yeah. you know how how was that? You I mean was that humbling? How was your approach when you were there? Uh, do you like what was that like for you to to finish uh, where someplace you'd never been?
0: So I'd never been I i never been put on waivers. I'd never been I've never been through any of this. So although so I get to Detroit, um, I sign a contract, but I got there um, after the after training camp. That's what happens on your last season or when you when the end is near. And so I I make the team, but I sign a two-way contract. In that I'm making X amount of money in Detroit, I make you know much less money, but whatever. In, in, in the American Hockey League. But it's still, hey, listen, it's a job. It's good. I'm in Detroit. My family's in Toronto. The Olympic break 2010 is coming, is coming up, obviously, um, going to Vancouver. So everybody's booked their trips to go on, on, a, on a vacation, wherever they're going to go for like seven days and then come back because the NHL shuts down for 14 days or whatever it was. And um, I get put on waivers the night before or two nights before the Olympic break. And I get put on waivers. I don't know what this feels like. It's never, it's been everybody else, but not me. And um, I went home, but my wife was still in Toronto. She's driving to Detroit tomorrow because we were going to play tomorrow night, driving, watch the game that I was maybe going to be playing in. And then we were going to fly and we went to somewhere in Mexico. We went for a week with some friends and um, my kids were in Toronto. So my point in bringing this whole story up about how it all happened. So I get put on waivers. I look at, Kenny, Kenny Holland, and Mike Babcock at the time. I'm like, um, you know what? Thank you guys. It's amazing. I think I just retired. You know, if this is what it is, I mean, the end, The end's the end. So I'm done. Kenny goes. Listen, don't don't make any rash decisions or you know whatever. I'll call you in two weeks or ten days, whatever. Go on your trip. I know you have it booked. Go on, Go away. When you get home, call me. I'll be in Vancouver because he was a GM. As Babcock was the coach in Vancouver. And, um, and we'll talk about it, but I would love you to go to grand rapids, but we had to do this for sour cap reasons. We, so anyways, that was that night. Two days later, they traded Billy Leno to the Philadelphia flyers from Detroit. And then they, they, they put Kirk Maltby on, on the IR sh- shoulder surgery, whatever, but he still could have played. They got rid of three players to activate Andreas Lilia off of the IR because he was making two and a half million bucks and they had to come up with the numbers and whatever. So if I was a better player, they would have picked somebody else. That's the truth. But at the end this, I, I fell in the, in the wheelhouse. I get put on waivers. I go to, so anyways, I, I say I'm retired two weeks later, Kenny calls me and I'm at home with my wife and kids and I really haven't talked about hockey at all. And I said, listen, I'm done. Like, I'm not gonna, you know, thank you for your opportunity. And, but no, I, I, I I'm enjoying being at home. He goes. Listen, I'll give you one more week. I need you down there, whatever. I'd like to have you back for the playoffs, just in case, whatever. But um, we got some good young players in, in Grand Rapids, Jay. So can you, you know, we, can you go down there? I think you you'd really you'd like it. So he said, I'll call you next week. So when he called me, my son was in the playoffs, phantom or whatever it was in playoffs, and I'd been to a few games. And my my stepmother, my dad's wife, had just had a double lung transplant right at the same moment, double lung transplant. And so I was like not in a hurry to leave and I was close because now I'm close to home and whatever. And Kenny calls, my kids are in the back seat and that's the best, why I brought the whole thing around. My kids are in the back seat, I retire on the phone. I'm like, Kenny, thank you. But I'd, I'd left my kids in Toronto to come to Detroit. I didn't leave them in Toronto to go to Grand Rapids. And he said, I understand that, um, thank you, hey, well done. Good luck. And we'll stay in touch. One of those. So I hang the phone up, and my kids in the backseat were like, What happened there? And I'm like, Well, oh, guys, I just retired. I thought it was a cool thing. I, I retired in front of them. Like, I basically said, Hey, I'm done. I'm going to stay with my kids. And they both were pissed. Both my daughter and son, they both were like, What are you talking about? You've told us from day one, ever since we started anything, that once you start, you can't quit. If you start something, you can't quit. What are you doing? You're going to quit? You got six weeks left of the season, Dad? You're going to quit? And you have a chance to get back to Detroit, maybe win a Stanley Cup? You're not quitting. You're not allowed to quit. And I'm like, that's all I needed. Right then, right there, that's all I needed. And as we pulled into the driveway, I walked in the house in Toronto. And I swear, 10 seconds later, I looked at my wife. I hadn't said a word. And she knew exactly. She's like, come on. Really? That's exactly how I think it came out, too. She's like, really? I'm like, yeah. And she goes, okay, let's go. And we went upstairs, packed the bag, and I was in my car about an hour or two later. But then I drove to Grand Rapids.
1: Awesome. Was, so you call Kenny back on the way on the drive, or what?
0: Yeah, I, I called Kenny <laughs> five minutes after I walked in the house and said, "Hey, hey, you know, I'm coming. I'll be there tomorrow." And um, it turned out to be one of the greatest things in my career. I think played 15 or 16 games. I fell in love with hockey again as a player. I played with Thomas Tatar Justin, the and Justin Abukater and and others that were there that are still in the National Hockey League and they were 18 tw- or 19 20 years old i'm 38 years old at the time and i was like their dad my kid my son was 14 and he was closer to them in age than than i was with the right like it's just kind of right. like and but again halftime you shift from being the guy to becoming a mentor and i had good ones and they, i honestly if i didn't do that i don't know if i would have been doing TV the last ten years, coaching kids this past year. I don't, I, I don't know, because maybe I would have been. look Too many guys are sour with the game when they leave. For right. me, I, I fell, I fell in love with it at the end.
1: That is so cool, uh, and and probably gave you. An ability to have a little different perspective and appreciation on what the hell is happening down there too, right? Because you I mean stepping in the NHL at nineteen, you you mean you weren't you weren't on those buses and you haven't eaten that pizza sitting in Rochester and you know done done that done that stuff and to do it at the end there probably gave you a little bit of different look at it. So my
0: my first thing so typically like you'd have like big spreads of whatever filet mignon whatever like good good food and my first game was in Peoria, Illinois against the St. Louis Blues farm team. And in Peoria, the game's over. Well, we get on the bus, and it's a five—I don't know, five-six-hour bus trip back to um, Grand Rapids, whatever it is. And I got on the bus, and there's a big bag of food, whatever, and a couple sodas, and you know, there was whatever was there. And I'm like, okay, like, do I just like—I don't know how it works down here. Do I just grab one? And they're like, no, no, you had to sign up and pay for it, like, <laughs> for the game. And I'm like, what are you talking about? What do you mean you don't just order me a bunch of food? Like I, you know, and, and so I literally, I think, I don't know who probably shared shared part of their sub or whatever it was with me, but <laughs> like I got on the bus. I had no idea how how this, like this works, which is like, I was the greenest of, of them all. And yeah. it, was, it was actually an eye opener. It was like, okay, so before the game, I pay my $8 for my whatever, or 12 bucks for my lasagna. But in the NHL, you're just taken care of so well, man. It's like, it's... Very, you're very spoiled, and I think it's even more so now. And there has to be a real understanding that you know what, you've earned it, but you have to appreciate it and be grateful. Where I hope, I hope, and I don't think it is happening, but I really do hope that the players today recognize how good they have it.
1: Yeah, that is so cool. I just love the irony there, right? Like that you end up being a rookie, right? Like in some aspects, you know, like not knowing how to even order food and. And, uh, and even for those listening, like, that is such a wild, like, NHL, you show up on the flight, there's the, you know, there's the spread and the shrimp, and you got your your drink or whatever you want, and you show up at a pregame meal, and everything's there, and in the and you don't pay for it, by the way, and then in the minors, you're paying your 12 bucks, you're ordering your own food, like, you're, it's just such a different world, and like, for those guys that live down there, and I was one of them, you know, waiting for that phone call, it's like, so amazing the difference that, like, one phone call can make. You know, like right. you're the same hockey player, you're the same human, but now you're on a different contract. You're in a different world. Um, and it's that close, right? Somebody wanting to make that call. And, uh, it made me miss an interesting segue into Brian Burke, because you had a guy that wanted to make that call for you a lot, which, uh, which obviously helped on the way to the thousand games too. having somebody in your corner that wants to be part of the organization, uh, matters in that line of work.
0: Oh, big time. Yeah. Burke uh, my greatest ally in hockey for sure. Um, Amazing. I played for Berkey. I got traded to Vancouver. Mike Keenan was in charge and he was a coach and GM, but um, that summer they hired Berkey to be the GM. Mike was still a coach in Vancouver. And anyways, I left. So Berkey, like I love Berkey. Berkey loves me. There's no doubt about it. It's, it's out there. Literally. I think he's my favorite. And he's said in in many ways, he's had so many great, great players, but my name comes up when he speaks up, you know, positively about his former players and um but in that so he signs me a couple year contract in vancouver i leave he trades me to phoenix basically kicks me in the ass on the way out when he does i go to phoenix for three years at the trade deadline three years later i get traded back to vancouver two-year contract again in vancouver he leaves to anaheim i end up i go to colorado after the lockout and then i get traded at the deadline my second year in colorado to to brian's team and then to Toronto. So I played for him four different times. And the worst part about this whole thing, so yes, he loves Brad, but he also got rid of me three times and didn't re-sign me at the end. So you know how much does he love me? Um, yeah. But it, it, when, when I got traded to, to Anaheim and we ended up winning, which was amazing, That the year and a half later, Berkey Lee, the president GM of the Maple Leafs. I think that's what his title was. it, And um, all the guys, Pronger, Marchant, Sean O'Donnell, Francois and Travis and all of us that got traded into Anaheim when Berkey was in charge, we'd all we basically make fun of each other, we're like, you know, whoever gets traded to Toronto first was the biggest kiss-ass of us all, one of those, like, you know, and um, everything else you'd say to your teammates, you know. And yeah. so about six weeks after Ber- Berkey takes over in Toronto, it's my son's 13th birthday, I get a phone call and it's Bob Murray. And he's like, Mayday, I just traded you to the Toronto Maple Leafs. (laughs) And I, and I loved it, guy, right. You're going home to Toronto. He goes, by the way, he goes, it was like 75 degrees in California. It was unreal. I was on my deck at my house and these, you better have a park because your game, you have to play tomorrow in Montreal and it's a blizzard or something. And it was just like that, that, the difference right of location. But, um, I ended up I go I went to Toronto, but I'm like, I was dreading the texts that I'd get and they're yeah. so funny. Of all yeah. my teams I'm like, hey, ball kisser, you, you know, like like every you might have to beat that out. Yeah. you know, yeah, you, you kiss ass, this and that. Like the comments in, in, in the texts were, were the best. They're they're gold.
1: Yeah, that is beautiful.
0: I was certain it would have been somebody else that I could have picked on, but it was me. Yeah.
1: It was you. That's okay. You can handle it. You got thick skin. Uh, How how was that? I mean, we I I've I've hinted at talking about the cup. I mean, you got traded there at the deadline, I think, if I did my homework right. Um, and uh, and then you end up winning it. Right? I mean, the biggest, the greatest prize a hockey player can win, and that whole scenario. I've never really talked to somebody about that because even though you, I mean, you definitely went through the war of the two months it takes to win that cup, but you haven't been a part of that for, for the whole season or for multiple years. right? You, what, what was that like? I mean, you obviously you were later in your career, you were respected in the league, people knew who you were, but like fitting in and being a part of things there, how did, you know, how was that? I mean, can you speak to that?
0: Yeah. Um, the first thing I'd say, is I think it would be, I don't know, I think it's great either way, but I think it would be amazing if you started in an organization and you went through the battles, right, for 10 years and then you win. Steven Stamkos, you know, right. in, in Tampa. I think that's amazing. Um, but being traded, going through it, um, the ability to actually fit into a room. So I have been traded a few times. I played on multiple. So A lot of people say, when you're traded, that must be hard. I'm like, it's the greatest thing ever. The first time getting traded was, I like, broke my heart. But after that, it was always exciting. You know, one chapter closes and you're just like, you're just, you keep going. Um. Great guys in Anaheim, really, really good veteran players and some great young guys. And I knew Berkey and I knew the system, you know, that he would he wants. I didn't know Randy Carlisle, though, um, very well at all. And yeah. first comment, he called me in um I went before my first game or whatever it was, and he's like, Mayday, Randy, Randy Carlisle. He's like, What makes you special? And I'm like, I don't know. But now you're like in front of this new, you know, your your new coach. And you're like, yeah, I'm 36 years old right now. But I'm, you know, I feel like I've been around him. He's like, what makes you special? I'm like, listen, Randy, I'm going to work hard. He goes, "Ah, hey, that's enough. With a couple other words he'd use. And he goes, work hard. What are you talking about, work hard? Working hard is expected. That's not special. My dad grew up in the mines in Sudbury, Ontario. He worked hard every day of his life. Doesn't make you special to work hard. What are you going to bring to this team? That was a horseshit answer. No, I'm like, okay, start off. Okay, this is a bad footing, whatever. And and he made me you know, to really to not critique yourself, but to actually explain how you're going to make a difference in a new environment from your own words, rather than relying on other people's you know um, opinions or, or 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 whatever they have said in the past. It's not an easy place to be, right? Anyway, so that was like, holy shit, Like this is this is serious. So all of a sudden, you know, you got to harness it. But the one thing I can say, we did win, and I didn't screw it up. I was the only guy they brought in at, at, the, at the trade deadline. Yes. And you know what? It's happened to other teams, and yeah. it's not that guy's fault per se. But you know what? Dynamics are everything. Chemistry is everything. And it's very easy that a guy could come in and, and, and ruin chemistry, right? So yeah. that's one thing I'm proud of. I didn't screw it up, and we were able to hoist a cup at the end of it.
1: Last break here just once again to remind you about My Dance Live, uh, mydancelive.ca. If there is a dancer in your life somewhere, either in your own house or a cousin or a niece or a nephew or a granddaughter or a grandson... Uh, My Dance Live is where they need to be starting on March 15th with my wife who is going to take them on a journey to become a better dancer and give them the tools that they can use after the four-week program is over that they can continue to step into their own personal greatness and find their recipe for success. So mydancelive.ca, make sure that uh, you get that in there. That's where you sign up and don't forget the promo code upmyhockey.com Oh no! I'm up my hockey twenty for twenty dollars off. That's what it is up my hockey twenty. Get your twenty dollars off the program, and um, and you can tell them that I sent you. So get in there, get it done. Thanks for listening today. Cheers. Yeah, that's sweet. And that uh, I mean every Stanley Cup champion special, uh, you know, t- championship team is special. Like that one, you know, having Pronger and Niedermayer on your back end is is you know. Th- I don't know if there was two better defenders on us on the team to win a cup. You know what I mean? Like c- combined, right? Like that's, that was amazing probably to play with those guys. And then you had one of my old teammates, Sean Thornton, uh, on your team there. Did you, were you guys line mates or like, what was your relationship like, like, right like with uh, authority?
0: Well, the only, the only bad thing about playing with authority is every time I'd get the puck, there'd only be half of it left. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Sean Thornton. No, you know what? God, God bless him. He went on to win another cup with the Boston Bruins. When he was inserted in the lineup to play against the Vancouver Canucks, game three, they're down two games to nothing. Thornton made a difference in that series. Um, it, it, no, I so I played with him. How about this? I, was Sean Thornton, George Peros, myself, three guys. Now, we didn't always play, the, but on the fourth line in Anaheim. I'm not so sure. You had, you had Pronger and Niedermeyer on the back end. Yeah. Slanny and McDonald, Danny McDonald's a guy that unsung hero who yeah. doesn't get talked about enough. He was so, so good gets and Perry young guys just emerging, not yeah. to mention everybody else. Sean O'Donnell in the back end, who wants to fight? Like if you're coming into Anaheim to actually have a, have a, like a real physical game. Like seriously, like how, how far down their depth chart do we become absolute monsters? Right. Maybe the top two guys in each team, whatever. And then our yeah. team was loaded, so we were tough, we were skilled, and our goaltenders were amazing. Both of them won big games for us, Brisgalov and Jaguar, so it, it, it was a team effort,
1: 100%. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, maybe we'll end with a couple more typical questions. I'll, I'm going to go back to the to the fans here, and, and uh, somebody asked this one, which I think is actually a cool perspective. Uh, Hasek, Waugh, or Berder, who are you taking? And he says, "I'm going Hassik." You mean you only? I think you only played with Hassik, correct? But played against the other ones. You mentioned Wah in that one series. Yeah. Uh, who would be? Who would be your? Who would be your pick?
0: Well, I so my I have my answer one hundred percent. I played with Marty Brodeur in the World Championships in 1996. So whatever. So I was with Marty for about two or three weeks over in yeah. Vienna. Um, they're all amazing. Dominic Hassik to me is the best goaltender that's ever played. Not even close. I I just think what he did and how he could play. Like we we go through practices in Buffalo, and we had some really good players and a bunch of knuckleheads too. But but where we like literally, he go he get a sh- he'd pitch a shutout in practice with hundreds of pucks coming at him and not let pucks in. He was amazed. He'd take his helmet off when we're taking one timers from the top of the circles because he wanted to get more focused. So he wanted to see the puck like he just he wasn't feeling it. So he take his helmet off. Come on, guys, like I don't know where the puck's going when you're taking a one timer. You're trying to, you're right. Like it, it, it takes off. um I just think Dominic hasick his ability, that stretch of hockey that he played in the mid '90s, um, he's the best ever. But I mean, the other guys, you can't, you can't go wrong in that list. That's the answer. yeah,
1: sure, sure. Yeah. No, yeah, he was, yeah, crazy special. I had the, I had, the uh, I had a bus ride that I'll never forget. I went to Detroit camp at the end of my career, and we were coming back from a, I don't know, a nice session or something, and and uh, I was sitting up at the front, and and Dominic comes in and sits beside me, right? I mean he has no idea who I am, and just talked talked my ear off for like thirty minutes coming back on this on this trip, and uh, anyways, it was just it was just really, and that was like that that was that Detroit team though. Like I've I've said that before on this podcast, like you know, Holmstrom's inviting me to golf and, you know, Chelios shakes my hand and wants me to take me to his chili bar and, you know, Hasek's talking my ear off at the, I mean, everyone, it felt so inclusive there, right? That everyone was an equal and everyone was worthy of of, uh, of their time. And uh, and Dom definitely made me feel comfortable there and seemed like he was just a, a good human at the end of the day, as well as a good hockey player.
0: Yeah, there, you know what? I think, I can't, I can't, I'm, on one hand, I, I don't know if I could tell you five guys that were that were idiots like really like not guys i didn't enjoy being around at all right i don't really know if i could give you i got a couple guys that that i could say they they you know they had personalities that were different than mine and that we weren't great friends but i definitely had fun um i think that's cool about hockey like i don't think there's because if you're a real if you're not a nice guy or you're on the outside um, you're exposed quickly, and you have to find a way to be, you know, included in the group. Um, yeah. And then chemistry and culture makes a difference because on a bad team that that situation can be very ugly, but on a good team you bring guys into the fold, right? And and yeah. and you're you're led along to to kind of understand how it works. So um, no, I think we're I'm incredibly proud to be an hockey player. I think I've met yeah. the greatest people in my life, right? Or guys I hung with and flew with and fought for and
1: you know, got in trouble with. And yeah, I love it. You know, I I, I, got questions just keep coming up. Uh, You're on Battle of the Blades. And there was another thing I heard you talking about where you mentioned um, in an interview somewhere uh, that you felt that your experience getting on figure skates uh, was something that every young hockey player should do. Um, it should be a part of their, of their training. Could you elaborate on that? Like, do you, do you really mean that they should go get some figure skates and, and try and be a figure skater? Or is this like, or what, 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 yeah, just explain what you meant by that.
0: Um, I think, yes, absolutely. But I recognize it's too expensive and it's just probably not a, you know, just not going to happen for everyone. Yeah. Um, the ability to actually skate figure skate. Now, when I say figure skate um, with, with, like these figure skaters are unreal. Like they finish every stride. We're hockey players. We actually, it's it's an economy of movement, and whoever's fastest to get to the puck. And we actually, as good as we are, when when all the guys that did Battle of the Blades, and I would, I would venture to guess, um, you know, from season one to whatever, I think they've done five seasons now or whatever it is. Each guy said they got it's so much better skating. Now I know we're retired when we are doing this show, but i wish i did it when i was 15 16 18 years old being able to do it like in this in this show battle of blades i was able to lift annabelle my partner over my head with one hand that's 100 pounds over my head one hand that's not lifting a dumbbell in the gym that's actually a body on skate skating moving putting you know down in sync with grace if you will um this is the best training I ever did. I wish I did that kind of trick. Now, to go to a training camp, because you'd be so much stronger and everything. Better skater. My favorite skates are my figure skates. What's
1: Although, better about your stride, though, Mazer? So, what what makes that stride better? You talk about finishing it. Like, what is, what's, what's different about it?
0: Well, because I don't, you, you don't, you, first of all, it's posture and you don't, and which, which is so foreign. And it was awful for the first few weeks getting on figure skates without holding a hockey stick hunched over. Right, and when you turn, when you turn to the left, for instance, I'm a left-handed player, and I turn to the left. I dip my left shoulder, kind of follow my stick around my body, and I make a tight turn on my heels. A figure skater comes in there and actually does this with with hands and, and leads with the right shoulder. So fundamentally, that uh, that left turn is completely different. And but they're doing it because they have to present themselves, and you know, like this, right? Show themselves mm-hmm. and. Posture and breathing, but they have to be in sync with their partner. Um, I think it was just like the the focus and the energy it took to actually like to skate crossovers around the you know the neutral zone, take, you know around the circle. We would do that for hours because I had to be in sync with her. Our stride had to be matched perfectly to you know stay in. And it was just I think I'm the coolest part about doing that show. Probably the reason why I love golf so much is because I can go to a driving range and work on something and within five or 10 minutes, it gets worse. But if you're really working on it, you see incremental improvement. Like the ability to learn and improve, I think I'm addicted to. And when I retired from hockey, I was like, okay, where am I going to get this? I didn't know what that was. But when I did Battle of the Blades, I'm like, ah, that's it. You know, we can't stop trying to learn. So learn new things, right? Because we don't do it. we get we're stubborn. So, anyways, yeah, the skating part. I'll I'll tell you one other one and quickly. It's called the three turn. If you don't know what the three yeah. turn is, it's an outside edge into to an inside edge on the same foot, as opposed to to doing a mohawk turn. So, yeah, going forwards to, and opening up for a one timer. If you do a three turn, outside edge, inside edge on your left foot as a left winger or a left hand shot. I'm already loaded up on my shooting foot. My shots better. I score more goals. I would have been a better hockey player had I even learned that one move. Right, I and mean, that's and, and for, for you being a right hand shot, it would be your right leg in that case for a one timer. But um, I never knew that. I played hockey for twenty years in the NHL. The best people in the world never was taught that. That's strange. As you go
1: from your outside edge. I'm a righty. I'm my, my my right my right leg outside edge. I'm pivoting around to my inside edge, and now I'm open for that one timer.
0: So yeah, you're here. Yeah, I know it looks weird. Yeah, outside edge to inside edge. So it's it's imagine your imagine your your toe of your left, of, of, for you you're you're coming out of that that right corner, right? Yeah. You cycled the puck and you're turning around the top of the circle to take a one timer. You know what that looks like? Yeah. Yeah. As you're going around, instead of opening up to a Mohawk turn, take receiving the pass on the wrong foot, then you have to load it up and then you shoot it. So there's six moves to a Mohawk turn to shoot yeah. a puck. Although it can happen quick, there's actually one move and a shot on an eight three turn. So right. if Brett Holt yeah. scored, if we actually broke down goals of one timers to get the best in the game over the years, I bet you that's how they turned.
1: Right. Yeah, I know that's cool. Uh, well we'll finish with uh just a conventional uh hockey question to somebody who's who's been around a ton of fights. You, you mean playing as long as you did in the enforcer era, who do you have a top three? Like who, who, who lives in that, in that rarefied air? It's interesting. And I don't want to bias your, your, your answer, but I know Bougard was a, was a real big name back in the day. I know Tony Twist was, uh, one of the names who was used to be my next door neighbor and is a friend of mine who is Eric Goddard who knocked out Bugard in Calgary. Um, and somebody on Spittin' Chicklets said that he was, he was up there as one of the toughest guys of his time. And, no disrespect to Eric, but I just I mean, that's just not the world that I lived in, right? Like, is there is there any names and maybe some sleepers on that list that 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 uh that people might not have heard of before?
0: Uh there's so many more that you and I have like we won't even touch that are so tough and could have be could have knocked Goddard out on a one off or Bougard or me or you know what I mean? Like you had Kenny Belanger for a while. He was like like short while, but he was he was a beast. Um Look at it. like Stephen Flynn, when he was playing for L.A., he came in, he was a pretty tough guy. You know, uh, Donald Brashear, for a moment, for a long moment, he played a long career as well, but um, for a while, he was the toughest in the, in the NHL. Um, Rob Ray, I mean, this guy went to war pretty much every night, and he was tough as nails and would fight. And listen, half the battle of a fight is, is, is showing up, right? Like, the actual, what happens, win or lose... Are you coming back? And there's yeah. so many tough guys. Eric, I fought Eric Gardner. Um, he was playing for the Islanders. I thought I was playing for Colorado. Came across, pull it up on YouTube. Not a good fight for Brad May, but he he was a big guy. I knew it, it was at the end of my shift. I'm like, this guy had been on a roll. I think he, he 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 was he was beating guys up. And I'm like, you know what? I have to jump in here. But you know, if I could slip on the banana peel, I'm okay. I'll get a five minute major. But I, you know, the fight's over. I did my job. Um, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of guys like that. I would say for me, and maybe it's more because of just folklore. But I, king of king of the fights, Bob Probert, just because we we all appreciate. I mean, what he did in his career and stuff. I think Joey Kosher's got to be in that in that conversation. Tony Twist, 100, is in that con, that conversation. Um, De La I fought a couple of times, but one in particular, he was so intimidating because he's so big, right? And then, but now I can keep going.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it doesn't stop. Cause I mean, that era, it just like the list just kept going. And I guess that's the thing too. I mean, I'm reading Brant Meyer's book right now, who's a teammate of mine back in Spokane, uh, back in the day. And I don't know if you, if you, he has a book out talking about his battle with sobriety and, uh, and his experience of being that enforcer. But I mean, he keeps going back to that scenario of there's, you're going to lose at some point, no matter who you are. Right. And, 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 it might not be pretty but you then you got to do it again and you might lose again you know what i mean like it's this that whole living in that you know i don't know what the right way to frame it is and you you'd probably be much more eloquent than me but you know you can only win for so long right and and no matter how good you are somebody's coming and there were so many tough guys back in that era it would have been an interesting world to live in
0: well i just don't think that if if you're a guy most of us and i'm not going to limp myself like but but most of us that, that fought um, or expected to fight, expected ourselves to, to be that protector, if you will want to call it that, um, there's nowhere to hide. And guess what? If you actually pick your spots, because that was a big comment back then is, yeah, he's picking his spots. You know, basically means like he's trying to take the easy route. And you know what? In many cases, I bet you all of us have. and We all did it. You know, and there was moments you're like, oh, my God, I'm in over my head here, but I got to do it. And if you didn't do it, you had this fear, this overwhelming fear that you're going to send to the minors. You're going to lose your career. You know, that everything about it that comes along with that um, could could vanish immediately, you know, and disappear. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it's, it's not a great place to be. But guess what? You want to be in the NHL? and You want to be in the top 700 guys? Be a part of the fraternity? You got to find a way. And yeah. so I mental health is a factor it's definitely a byproduct of that part of the game or was um i also think that there's a responsibility on every individual to understand try to try to understand themselves and recognize hey this is just a part of doing a job and it's on you the responsibility lays within so yeah, i and and i say that respectfully because I, I do know a lot of my friends have gone through some tough things tough times yeah. I, you spoke of Brant and and we're all here for them. That's the that's one message. Hockey player, we're here for you, but we need to know. You know, life moves on and side, out of mind. But um, a lot of us need help. A lot of us don't, and we can be the help. We have that fraternity, and I, and I hope we understand that. We can lean on one another.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's well said. I'll, uh, did you ever get, I mean, I, I was going to ask you if you've ever been hurt. And I'm sure you've, you know, you, you were cut, but I mean like hurt. And, and why, why I'm at, thinking that is because, One time I wasn't able to pick my spot and I don't know if I probably never told you the story in the bus, but I was, uh, it was an exhibition game. I was with, I was with LA and, uh, we were playing Anaheim and somebody ran over Solani behind the net in exhibition right from behind. And, and so of course, you know, all hell breaks loose and, uh, we have a power play. We end up having a power play and, uh. And out I go for the power play and Jim McKenzie comes out to kill the penalty. I'm sure it's the first penalty kill pe- penalty Jim's ever killed in his life. I didn't know much about Jim. Right. Cause that wasn't really my world. Right. But he, he lines up beside Sean O'Donnell and, uh, and Andy, uh, our coach Andy, geez, what's his, Mandy Murray sends o- Odie back and he's like, put come over. So like I, I line up beside this guy who's huge. And, uh, and right when the puck drops, he slashes my ankle and he says, here we go, kid. Right? So I was like 21 or 22 or something. And so I drop my gloves and I fight this guy, hit him hard, right? Like as hard as I can punch, like three times in a row. And I think I'm doing really well. And then I had no idea he was a lefty. And all of a sudden he starts hitting me. And I think he only hit me twice. And I was on my back and, you know, big cut over my cheek and, you anyways I mean, as far as that went though like he didn't I wasn't hurt you know I mean I was cut uh but it was probably the best thing I could have ever done to get the respect of those guys on that team um you know the amount of the amount of you know bum taps I got and high fives and you know whatever after the game was was super special and super cool but you know for me it was like I'm okay you know like I'm okay I did that and I'm okay right like it was for me it was it was interesting having that realization that I just fought one of the toughest guys in the game at the time and you know and he, he did a number on me but i was I was still okay you know like how were how were you in those like did you did you ever experience you know a, a knockout or or something like that that you know had a little more severe consequences than a cut
0: you know what I broke my hands um i i, I really i never got hurt in a fight i know i got hit hard that 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 punch hurt me or i felt it for days yes you know um but no i never got hurt in a fight i dislocated my shoulders in fights so where i had that surgery for four to six month recoveries mm-hmm. um speaking of that i um no i'm lucky and by the way i would never in my it, as i was playing i would never talk like this ever i would never talk about fighting cuz guess what the next time you're out there you know you're going to meet your maker and i always had that in mind so i in some ways I was infatuated with it where I was afraid as well. So I always, I, I forced myself to, you know, as, as a computer age came on, cause we didn't have computers when I first started, um, you know, with hockeyfights.com and YouTube and all these things that you could tap into the history of a guy who was six foot four fighting a six footer, like what, who won and how did it play out? Well, I started watching, you know, all these different sites and and it would prepare me for who was possibly I'm going to play against that, that you know, you might face or whatever. A lot of energy yeah. spent definitely worrying about staying safe.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah that's no interesting. And I wonder, how. I mean, we get back, we don't need to go there. But like how, if you spent that much time wondering how to beat somebody wide and cut to the middle and score the goal you know, like what that might've, might've done and what these kids can do now with this video at their disposal. Like, my gosh, it's like wild. If I could have watched everything Mario Lemieux did when I was 10 years old, like he was my guy, like, oh my God, would that have been a valuable thing to be able to, to, be able to do.
0: I, I, amazing, amazing. And just to cap off that other conversation, the threat of the fight is more important than the fight itself. So even going forward in this new age hockey and everything else that's happening right now, the ability, the understanding that, you know what, you still have to play the game honorably and, and safe. And if you do anything outlandish, there's going to be, you know, retribution or consequences. So the threat of the fight is more important than the fight itself. So Pat LaFontaine, Dale Chuck to finish off the whole fighting comment in Buffalo with a bunch of knuckleheads. I remember skating around. I was doing, you know, just imposing my will on on, on on the other team and whatever. So we get in between periods and Patty and Dale are losing it on me. And they're like, what do you settle them down? You're, you're, you're running around and you know what? Now they're coming after us. So what does the New York Rangers do at that moment? They don't come after Brad and Rob Ray because they know they're going to be in a fight. Buka boom and Kiprios and, and, and these guys, they start t- targeting LaFontaine and McGillney, right? And, or, or, and, and Howard Chuck. All of a sudden they're in between periods and they're like, Hey, settle down. We're winning this game. Enough's enough. Yeah. I don't want to get hurt tonight. No more. And you know what? There was no fight needed, but the fight was the threat. The fight wasn't needed. We went on, we played the third period. The game was over. It was police within our own locker room. Our right. star players told us to settle down because they were get they were under the gun because we were, you know, inflaming this situation and, and I think that's why fighting is amazing, and that's why it should be still part of the game. But but I do recognize that concussions and everything else that we can get into, um, it, 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 they're real, and it's real. And the optics of the game, there's rules, stick by them.
1: Yeah, we'll see where that goes. I mean, it does seem like it's, um, you know, they're trying to... I don't know what the right word is, like, it out almost. You know, I mean, starting at the minor levels, you know, the junior, like, what happens at junior? Obviously, if you can't fight in junior, you know, like, how, it's going to be tough to fight in the NHL, or less guys are going to be able to do it. I think, I think at some point in the future, there probably won't be fighting. Um, I'm with you, though. I think, I think it should be there. Maybe it's because of the era we came up with, but I do, I, I don't know. I, I, I just, there's a strategy to it. There is a, there is a, there's something about about the energy of it. um, and I think too, and I've said this before, uh, possibly not to you, but there there's something like you respect yourself for what you had to do and what you had to go through. like there there's an element of being a hockey player where that when that's involved, that it's a test of your metal. It's a test of your mental makeup. Um, and it is maybe a little caveman or a little gladiator, like, but I'm okay with saying that, right? Like it took. You 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 had to be a bit of a different type of person to be able to do it, to be able to play there with that fear, whether it was real or not, right? To get it done. Even as a goal scorer, I felt that I had to have a little bit of a, you know, an edge to me to go to those areas, knowing that somebody could take your head off or knowing that somebody might want to take a piece out of you, right? And I, I had some pride with that, and I still do, right? That I was able to to produce in that era. And I think that that's something that, I don't know, I wish other hockey players could do because there's something about saying that I'm a hockey player and knowing that that's a part of it, I think it just, uh, to me, I, I like being able to say that, that that was included in the process.
0: No, I love it. I love it. Uh, and let me ask you, what's your favorite movie?
1: My favorite like, movie? Well, interesting. This, this, well, I mean, I I, I I said Gladiator now, and that's going to come to my mind. I think Gladiator, Shawshank Redemption are always some that come off, my, come off my lips when somebody asks me that.
0: Okay, so another one that comes up, a lot of guys, and listen, The Notebook comes up every once in a while, too. So, hey, listen, movies are great. But... Gladiator, Braveheart, right? Braveheart's yeah. one. All these movies. It's who we are. It's where we came from. Like it is part of like this whole str- you know struggle. I I just yeah I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, and that same guy that would say I don't understand it in hockey. His favorite movie's Braveheart, and I don't understand that whatsoever. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I right. Okay, if that if that if that's true, how in the world can you not see the value in it here? But hey we're evolving so it's good yeah
1: yeah there you go well brad i mean it's been two hours my gosh i know uh it's just like sitting on the bus i think we could probably keep keep going here but we'll we'll pull we'll pull the cord on it um really really great points really great perspectives um i love your stories man and uh you know i i just look now i, I I was joking a little bit about my forty-one games, but you played a thousand forty-one, so you played a thousand on the nose, a thousand more regular season games than me. That's pretty wild. And you have the same birthday as my youngest son, so somehow we're we're kind of tied there. So I I, uh, I appreciate you spending spending your time with us here and, and sharing those stories, man.
0: Hey, I can't I can't wait to come to Predator Ridge and come visit you.
1: Hey, man, let's do it. Yeah, have you played this course?
0: I had well, way back when. Yeah, yeah, I haven't played it, I haven't been out there in 10, 15 years. But yeah. Early okay, so you
1: haven't played the new one yet, then?
0: I haven't played the new one,
1: no. Okay, yeah, the Ridge, that's great. So there's a little plug for Predator. Yeah, it held the, uh, what was that called? You know, the NHL PA golf tournament that you guys have? It came here a couple of years in a row. It was, that was awesome for a guy like me to to be able to to play in that and see some of these old faces. That was a ton of fun. So, yeah, you got to get out here. You're, I know you're a good golfer. You'd love the course. It'd be great. I,
0: I, I can't wait, guys. I can't wait to get there.
1: All right, sweet. All right, well, we'll cut her off here. Um, Just stay on for a sec, Brad, and then I'll I'll chat with you after. But uh, thanks for everyone tuning in. Um, Until next week, play hard and keep your head up. Cheers. Well, thanks for joining us again today, Brad May. uh, We've had that on the calendar for a while. It kind of just kept not happening, and then this week it happened. So uh, really happy to get that done. There's still so much. It's crazy. You talk for two hours. Straight And uh, there's still stuff in my head right now that I'm like, oh, I wish I would have asked this or, oh, I should have had a better follow-up question there or we should have dug in more here. So anyways, always kicking myself because I'm always trying to get better, but there's always so much to cover and uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, Brad is, is obviously fun to listen to. He, he has some great perspectives and some great insights and it's nice to have one of those old, uh, old is the wrong word, but uh, I appreciate the Gladiator approach and his honesty to something that is near and dear to him which is the pugilistic aspect of what hockey is and um, and it does seem to be going away uh, but there was a time <laughs> where it was there and that is really the roots of the sport so it's going to be interesting to watch the evolution of hockey and you know some people are, are de- it's definitely a pulverizing thing when it comes to the sport some people believe that for the only way to grow it has to it has to leave the game entirely uh, some people like it just the way it is Uh, Some people even maybe wish that we turned back the clock a little bit and allowed it to be uh, a little more feisty But no matter where you stand in the argument uh, There's no denying uh, that what Brad did for his teams uh, and what he did for his teammates and for the fans in those cities was (laughs) bring people together and Understand that people were safe when he was on the ice that he would go to bat for his team and for his city And uh, he brought a lot of people out of their chairs uh, while he did it. So Call me what you will, uh, but I like the Brad Mays of the world and I think that they, uh, they have a place and uh, it was awesome to have a conversation with him today. So until next time, play hard and keep your head up.